0: This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link soul Go to LinkSoul.com. And by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com
1: This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics.
2: And the pitch is swung on. Hit the right field. Hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head. And over the wall. Do
3: you believe that? And
1: 29 other MLB clubs.
3: Ramirez with a
0: drive to deep right, away, back, gone! go hey, gets a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy,
4: oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judge in blast. All rise, here comes the
1: Judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on Ace Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend.
0: I think, no question, it would be fair of you to say, how could you even ask about whether you could be excited about going into the offseason when you are 44 and 99? Can you turn me up a little? You know what I, I think I figured it out, Cody. See right there? Yeah, I'm good. But when we have the guest, he's super loud. They're super loud in my ears. And my ears are starting to get sensitive as I get older. That makes sense. Years of wearing headphones, I think, is not wearing well on my ears. Well, see, right now we sound normal. The guests sound like they're blaring to me. He
3: was a little hot, so I turned him down a little bit and he kind of leveled out a little bit. That's that, that was something. But to- it
0: happens to me though. It's just it's me. Uh, I think it's fair. I think you could say as an A's fan, what the hell are you talking about? Let me explain myself. Can I explain myself to not look like a total homer, which I'm not trying to be. I'm trying to be consistent because I said this a while ago. I had criticism of the franchise for signing a bunch of blah veteran guys falling back on their old see they used to be able to do it 90 million now they didn't have 90 million and i've kind of explained if you followed A's baseball over the years how they would do things right it was a ton of movement Guys in and out and in and out and a little money being exchanged here and there and minor league free agents, and this guy had to be called up by this point or he'd be a free agent. So let's now call up Brandon Moss before we lose. You know, constantly, here's a Kia Kiahue. it were just constantly moving pieces, moving pieces and trades. And not a whole lot of, look at our great draft picks, right? The A's weren't built on that. We were built on movement and deals and, oh, my God, Scott Casimir, and you, I mean, just you know, diamonds in the rough and getting other people's teams. Because the one thing the A's were good at were looking at other people's players and finding other people's players and bringing them in. So you can do that when you're using around 90 to 100 million. There can be movement and money's exchanged, and sometimes you're paying a little bit, or sometimes they're paying you a little bit. Eh. But all of a sudden, when that's cut off, and now you got to rely on what you got in the minor league system. Boy, you get exposed fast. Like, where's all the draft picks? Where's all these guys you've been training? Where's your mind of leagues? And what, why do you have to go out and sign Jace Peterson? Why do you got to get Alemas Diaz and Jesus Aguilar and Drew Rusinski and these guys? But I think now past that, what excites me going into next year, and I said this, if you let the young guys play, At some point, they will get better, and you'll win more games. Stop with the hodgepodge garbage. Let the young guys develop and play together. They're going to get their butts kicked. That's fine. It's human nature to fail before you succeed. Some of us see any failure you want to shut people down because you're afraid of failure. Not me. J.P. Sears is struggling. Should him out in August. Would that have been a good move now?
3: No, but Martin said he was hitting a wall. That's what I saw. He said no, he was hitting a wall. So
0: what? Hit a wall. It's professional sports. Do you still show up to work when you hit a wall? Yeah. No, we, we don't shut you down. Oh, Cody's not feeling good. You can take the next two months off. Well, no, you got to go to work. You got to learn to be able to play when you don't feel 100%. You got to learn how to still be a husband, a wife, a father, a mother. You still got to live life when you're not 100%. And for some reason, you guys don't believe in that. It's like, what what? Are you telling me come week 3 in the NFL everybody's feeling skipping into work every day? This is great. The whole team would be out on Sundays. What what sport would you want to watch on Sunday if guys didn't hit walls in the NFL? What who would play? Fair point. That's not true. (laughs) I mean, you're beat up after training camp. We would have no teams. I mean, Steph Curry couldn't even play a season if that was the case. So, it's great. Look, I mean, J.P. Sears is going to grow as a person, as an athlete. The accomplishment of 30 starts, it's going to be great for him. So, stop shutting everybody down. Stop... Stop worrying about, oh, my God, he's failing. Tyler Soderstrom's failing for the first time in his life. Oh, my God. What do we do? What do we do? Shut him down. Send him down.
3: No. No, Let him compete. He should have sat up here the whole time.
0: Grow up. Compete. Learn. And if you can't, then you'll be gone. I mean, that's just how it works. You got to learn to adapt and get better. And that's all of life. That's all of life. We've all struggled. It's okay to struggle. And that's why I want to be consistent and say, let these young guys play together because they'll start playing better together and they'll start winning. And we have seen that. Defense looks better. Some of these guys are blossoming offensively. Noda is still sporting over an 800 OPS. Geloff is a monster. Let Law play. He's not in the lineup today. Like, what? What are we doing? Cause I gotta see Brent Rooker strike out more. Brent Rooker since May well First. Did we or is it second? Do we have a game on May first or was that a day off? Let me double check. We looked at this Since the start of May, Brent Rooker has struck out like a hundred and thirty something times. It's crazy. Is Tony Kemp in the lineup today hitting two fourteen? Uh, no. No.
3: It's a lefty on the mound.
0: I mean, May, yeah. seriously, that I don't care who's on the mound. Let the young guys play. I mean, Kevin Smith, we haven't seen enough to know what Kevin Smith is?
3: Since May 2nd, uh, Grunt Rooker has struck out 134 times in
0: 340 at bats. What's the average? 218. 218 and 137 strikeouts. Let the young guys play. Let them figure it out. It's a dilemma, but, I mean – is our, is our organization getting better with the Letmus Diaz in left field? I'm going to lean towards no. No, I mean everybody and knows third. that. And, and batting third, let R- the young, Right, lefty. But that's what gives me excitement about next year. Is that I'm hoping this stuff's gone and now we just go. Hey, if you're gonna, if you're going to spend some money, go spend it on pitching. Oh, you yes. need arms. Yeah, go get arms. Flood flood all your money into arms. Get me guys that can give me some innings and some starts. And some guys that can pitch in the bullpen and get outs. Let all these young guys play. Hernandez, I don't know. Is he a shortstop? Is he third? Be- I don't know. Let's see what he's got. Brett Harris, he's that good. Let's see what he's got. Jordan Diaz, you better figure it out. People are coming. Law, you're playing every day in the outfield. Ruiz, Ruiz got to play. He's got a skill set that's incredible. You've got to coach him. You've got to make him better. Ruiz, by the way, has still this is going to be part of my uh brought to you by uh, Cal State Hayward. Stat of the day. Cal State East Bay. Stat. The- I'm about to say Cal State Hayward. I played it. When I played him, they were Hayward. Cal State East Bay, stat of the day. Ruiz has stolen 4 of his 5 career Ruiz has stolen a base in 4 of his 5 career games against Houston. 5 total zero caught stealing. That's pretty good. He's uh if
3: you do the math, he's at 58 on the year steals. He is on pace for 66, which would tie him with Kenny Lofton for the American League rookie record which he set in 1992 for the then Cleveland Indians. So SC needs to play more. And uh, get I mean, he tried to still base SA got thrown out. He doesn't get thrown out that much. It was close. But, I mean, it was a clear I was. A, it was a nice throw by Jonah Heim. But he's really close. That's, an, that's another milestone, another great thing you could see for a young player on the A-team. We've seen what Geloff's done in, in August, and he's still hitting even better in September. So let, keep letting these guys play.
0: Remember when Geloff was 2 for 20, Oh, and people were like, well, now he's starting to hit it. People already were worried when Geloff was 2 for 20. This is a game of failure. You have to understand you're going to fail. People were starting to panic when Geloff was two for twenty. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Now they figured him out. I think he's hitting three. He's hitting two seventy three right now. I think he's hitting
3: three sixteen in September, if I'm not mistaken.
0: I'm okay. I'm not... I'll tell you right now what he's hitting. I was looking at some of these last well, five night. extra base hits. I I I I I'm I'm having a hard time stomaching playing players. Who have negative wars. I mean, that's kind of something we can all agree upon, right? Negative wars, not good. He's hitting 316 yeah. in September. Five X hits. Hit 286 in August. In July, he hit 218. Okay, struggle, but you know what? So what? Let him struggle. God, this whole thing that we can't allow anyone to it, struggle is ridiculous.
3: It's in the notes too, but it's pretty crazy. He has the third highest war already on the team.
0: <laughs> well, we're playing guys who have a negative war. Uh, correct. We're giving guys. Lots. I said this yesterday in the post-game show. I'll stand by it. There are decisions that get made with every team down the stretch, bad teams, that are just like, what are you doing? And then everybody gets the pass in the offseason because we move forward. You know, as I always say, your windshield is bigger than your rear view mirror. Why? Because you're always looking ahead. Your future's more important than your past. Got that from the great Dick Callahan. Where's my Dick Callahan mug? Uh, it's over here. Get DC up here. He hosts uh, Nolan Ryan. Oh, that's why we took it down with the rain. Dick Callahan, one of the greatest human beings of all time. Dick Callahan said to me, "Townie, there's a reason why your windshield is bigger than your rearview mirror because your your future is more important than your past." So we'll forget about this. We'll forget about next year. We'll get to spring training, and everything. But a question should be next year: Hey, remember last year? You're playing. You're giving substantial at-bats to guys with negative wars.
3: We did. I did the numbers. There's only one guy that has more at-bats than a guy, than some of the guys with the lower wars on our team. One guy. Name him. Tim Anderson. Ooh. And they're paying him a lot of money. That's not a lot. It's like 15 million. Well, there
0: was a guy, but I had to tell you he's not apples to apples. It was One guy who's gotten a lot of at-bats and was terrible, but he got kicked to the curb. His name's Jerkson Profar. The, even the Rockies went enough. Padres have picked him up. By the way, <laughs> remind me to get to the notes, Dodgers Padres.
3: We haven't even got to some of the best stuff. We haven't got to George Kirby yet or the Mike Trout rumors. I've heard you'd be all over the George Kirby thing. We saw that on Friday. Because well, you're RGC. just going to
0: call me old man
3: River. And there's just not people don't No, There's a lot of people that, <laughs> that didn't like what he said. Apparently, so let me just finish with yeah. this.
0: I like the idea. I think for me, what I'm excited about going into the offseason is we now kind of trust our young players are going to be able to play. They're going to be able to play and compete. They're just going to get better. Young players, if they're legit, the more they play, the more, the more they start to figure it out, they will be able to compete, and we won't see this. You'll see a more competitive team, a more compelling team, and all of a sudden you're going to be like, damn, they can win some games. That's, to me, what's exciting. And you're gonna have just a boatload of, you're gonna have a boatload of arms heading into the offseason. You're gonna have, you're gonna acquire more, you've got to go get more, but you're gonna have a ton of guys who are can compete, and hopefully those guys will be able to figure out and get some outs because that's still the dilemma. Number six should come off the board for two reasons. Obviously, Captain Sal is somebody that. When you talk to all these guys, which I've talked to them all, I've been very fortunate because this all happened while I was just being born and I was just a baby. But when you talk to all these guys, they're in their 70s and they always, and we recently just lost him, but they always referred to him as Captain Sal. They haven't played baseball with Sal Bando. For how many years? And they still refer to their their grandpas. They're, They're at the last part of their life, and they still refer to him as Captain Sal. That tells you what kind of leader Sal Bando was. So you could go with all the offensive categories. You could go with all the defensive categories. You could go with the three World Series. You could go with all of that. But the fact that you've got men at the latter part of their life still referring to their friend as the captain. That tells you what kind of leader, what kind of man Sal Bando was. Because at some point, let's face it, the World Series rings don't matter. Right? The glory of that, you know what? I learned this. You don't take that. You don't take anything with you to the grave. Your World Series rings don't come with you. Your money doesn't come with you. Your fame doesn't come with you. None of that matters. Those are all, these are just possessions. You don't take any of this, and I'm trying to be morbid, but you don't take any of this to the grave. I learned that burying my parents. And I can tell you right now, I can walk in the other room. If you don't know, my grandfather was the most valuable player of the National League in 1947. I have in my possession... The trophy, the 1947 MVP trophy. I've got all kinds of stuff. My grandfather, all the All-Star Games, all the different stuff my grandfather was involved in. I've got it. He couldn't take it with him to the grave. But you know what you can? The respect and the love from the people that were with you and around you. And that 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 will live forever. That's Sal Bando right there to me. Because, you know, let's face it, what am I gonna say about Captain Sal, the player? I can read his I can I can read his stats and act like, but I I, I mean I was too young. I mean, he was like when I was a real little kid and remember, I think he was, was a brewer, right? Yeah, he would have been, yeah, would after he was done in Oakland. So it's like I'm not gonna sit here and lie to you. I've had the opportunity to interview him multiple times. But cat. Sal Bando, the way he affected other human beings is dramatic. Dramatic. That's his biggest skill. That's one of the things that he should be remembered by with the World Series, with the numbers, being a great third baseman. That's one. Number two is Bob Melvin. Bob Melvin is the winningest manager, and he wore number six because of Captain Sal. Because... It was Bob Melvin's kind of fork-in-the-road moment in life where Sal Bando helped Bob Melvin put him on the path that he's been on now for years. So he wore number six to honor Sal Bando for what Sal Bando did for him in Milwaukee years ago. And then comes to us at a time when it was awful. It was like now. It was like now, but a different kind of awful, right? Like there's direction now under Bob Guerin losing. There was no direction. This was a rudderless ship. This ship's rudder. And the boat was good. Which way is the boat? going? Jamile Weeks is your untouchable player. Jack Costas is your best player. <laughs> You're trying to tell me how great Derek Barton is. We got problems. See that's old, the, old old townie will sniff it out for you because if you remember back in those days we're on ninety seven we yeah we were on ninety five seven the game at that time I'm like going this doesn't work this is not no this is bad Derek Barton stinks um, was
3: this one the, the the first what match number came was up?
0: Derek Barton,
3: Barton if you remember this you're a loser mm, Cuss was thirty three Barton was yeah I don't know that was six.
0: No. Nine? Why are you looking at me? I don't know. I'll go. He's something like he's like a 15 or 16 or something like that. Ten. Ten. He was a one and then something. So that was bad. And when you had. When Billy Bean had to fire him, you knew it was bad. When, When he had to go. Bob Guerin, you got to go. It was after a Baltimore series. Things were so bad. Whatever data they were using and how they were putting the team together was not working. And all of a sudden, leaving Baltimore, arrive in Chicago, on what side? South side. And they fired him. Bean flew to Chicago, Melvin flew to Chicago, the rest is history. And Bob tells a story about after that series, like he like like he's he's in the dugout in Chicago and like kind of leaned forward a little bit. Bob will tell you like he was like leaning back on, what's this guy's name? Like he didn't know who the players were. And on the way back from Chicago, because they came back to the Bay Area. Bob Melvin literally was reading the media guy to find out who are these guys. Who are these guys? And the A's end up having an unbelievable run with Bob Melvin. And it was, I mean, it's been a crazy ride, right? It's been a crazy ride where you had players. I mean, just think of all the different guys that showed up in 12, 13, and 14. Just think of all the guys, 18, 19, 20 all the different players that would come through. And, you'd be, like, when you really look back on it and you wonder, like, how the hell did they win with this crop of players? This wasn't like all of a sudden you brought up Jeter, Posada. Uh, you had Bernie Williams. You had this, like, core that you brought up and you built around the core. You had – you sent Josh Donaldson back to AAA. He was hitting 87. Scott Sizemore was supposed to be your third baseman. He got hurt one point, you had Kia Kiahue, and then you're bringing up some guy, Brandon Moss. I mean, you had all this weird stuff that worked. All this craziness worked. Scott Casimir goes from being a Sugarland Skeeter to an all-star. <laughs> Travis Blackley's winning games. I mean, I mean, who are these guys? AJ Griffin. Ryan Cook's an all-star? Who's Ryan Cook? Where are they now? Grant Balfour? becomes an all-star closer, who's Grant Balfour? I mean, all this craziness worked. Marcus Simeon comes over from Chicago. He can't catch a cold. If it wasn't for Matt Olson, he would have had well over 40 years that one year. He had the one year he had like 25 home runs, then he hurt his wrist, and you're like, eh, what is this guy? Is he really more an outfielder? And then all of a sudden, Wash comes in, and whoop, Marcus Simeon's one of the best players in baseball. Uh, how does it, How do you figure that one out? How do you figure that one out? I mean, the stories. Tommy Malone. Tommy Malone's still playing, by the way. Shout out. Shout out my guy Tommy Malone, the USC Trojan. He's still pitching. But, yeah, think about these guys, all these different players. Chris Bassett? Who that? Does anybody... Uh, I don't remember anybody calling the postgame show when the trade was made with the White Sox that Chris Bassett was coming to town and people were happy. Zobris was traded for who? Shamaniah. Who? Guy with a bad hip, never lived up to his draft status. He ends up winning a lot of games. Sean Maniah's is over here. We even see Sean Minaya, right? Here. Actually, didn't
3: didn't we look it up? Doesn't he have, like, the most wins in the last 20-something gr- years?
0: Out of that group. Yeah, I think.
3: It was, like, the last 20-something years or no.
0: Yeah, so it's probably a big three. Sean Mania has the yeah. most wins. Yeah. Uh, like, you, it was, like, 50. You, you, you say wins don't matter, so I don't know why you're bringing it up. But Sean Minaya, uh, yeah. Just think about all these guys that won games, all these guys that closed out games. Liam Hendricks. DFA'd from DFA'd to starting the wild card game from DFA'd to being an all-star from being DFA'd to being on the cover of the media guide. Can't make it up. Blake Trinan. Blake Trinan had one of the greatest years of any reliever in the history of baseball. It was one year, but it was truly one of the greatest years of any, what was he 11 and two with all those saves. Yeah. A year under one. I mean, it was incredible. All that happened under Bob Melvin. That's all craziness. It's randomness. As much as people in baseball, they don't want to be in randomness, our, our rosters, our playoff runs have all been random. All been random. And it was all under Bob Melvin. Bob Melvin's leadership meant something. And they finally, I can't speak for them, and I know there's always battles, But I think there was a moment the front office and a manager, it really gelled. It really gelled. Bean and Melvin became tight. They're still tight to this day. And it worked. And all the craziness and randomness, it was a circus, and Bob Melvin could lead that circus. And you believed, and they all believed, right, That's why I came up with this because I noticed it. Flying with the team, being around with the team, somebody's got to be at the front of the plane. Somebody's got to be at the front of the bus. Somebody's got to lead. And Bob Melvin was that guy. And that's when people would call in and criticize Bob Melvin. I I was just like, oh my God, like, do, do you understand professional sports? Well, Bob didn't do this. And Bob didn't, like, you don't, the only reason why we're here is because of this man. You think it's because of the players, the individual players, because the players keep switching in and out, in and out, in and out, and then we keep being somehow we're still competitive. Because this guy's leadership meant something. Leadership means something. It means something in life. It may, That's what this. This what this number represents. That's why we should retire it. Number six represents leadership. Captain Sal, leadership. Bob Melvin, leadership. We should retire number six and do it when the Padres are in town. Obviously not now. Next year, when the Padres are in town, retire it. Bring Captain Sal's family out. Bring Bob Melvin's family out and retire number six. It's fitting. No one should ever wear six again. Trout's got seven years left after this year. It's 240-something. 248. So, this is really, this is perplexing. And, you know, it's funny, like, Eno is a great guy to talk about it because what is the first thing he thinks of? It's what everybody thinks of. Everybody, go to the Dodgers. Everybody's going to the Dodgers. You know, it's been the Yankees for Trout for all this. Now it's the Dodgers. There is no way in hell. That you're going to lose Otani and then trade Mike Trout to the Los Angeles Dodgers. That is not going to happen. You are not going to do that. In your own market, having to live that every day, if Trout turns it around and blossoms, you want to live every day Mike Trout as a Dodger? No freaking way. If anything, you want to trade him to the National League and you want to trade him to the East Coast, and you want to have that divorce. But it is sad because Mike Trout's a good dude. It is sad when you're franchise player, when you part ways with your franchise all-time great, and you're not doing it at an old age. You're doing it at an, at an age he's still in that box of his prime. I mean, I've talked about it a few years ago in Tempe where they train. I went I was I was down there for spring training. I, I did pre-game and I went into their team store there. And literally the entire team store was trout. Trout, the trout hat with the fish, the trout <laughs> shirts, trout jerseys, trout, I mean it's trout everything. And then you looked at their giveaways. It's be it's beach Beach towel, trout night. It's it's it's, it's whatever. It's tr- trout bobblehead. Tr- every giveaway. Like three fourths of all their giveaways were trout. Mike Trout barbecue said. When you get that level of a player, you want to see that guy for as a baseball fan, even though he kicks the sh- crap out of us, you know. You want to see that guy stay there his entire career. Like, did you really like seeing Griffey as a red or a white sock? No. Griffey should have stayed in the Pacific Northwest his entire career. It's good for the game when Cal Ripken stays his whole career in, in Baltimore. Tony Gwynn stays in San Diego. Or George Brett stays in Kansas City. Especially, you know, when those when you're not a Yankee or a Dodger. When you are the Angels, I mean, you have your franchise. He's your franchise's best ever player. It's better for our game if guys stay. You know, would it have been better. If Paul Goldschmidt stayed in Arizona's entire career. Would it be better if these guys stay? You know, they stay the whole time there. You know, Robin Yount was a Brewer forever. You want to see that Kirby Puckett played his entire career in Minnesota. But of course he got hurt, but you want to see these guys, that's good, that's good for the game. Not guys switching and trading and doing all that. That's when when you can say who did he play for? He's an Angel, he's a Royal, he's a that's kind of something that's obviously free agency happened and all that's kind of changed in our game. It's one thing that we complain about. We, as A's fans, should understand, yes, Trout should be an angel for his career because we've longed for that guy. Like, how the hell did Ricky Henderson ever play for anybody else? Well, we find out he was kind of a pain in the you-know-what. But, ideally, Ricky would have played here his entire career. No one plays here their entire career. That's sad. That is sad. And it's tough. We don't see that anymore in baseball. But if you have a great player, you kind of wish that that guy would stay with the franchise because what he means to these communities, what he means to the families, what he means all these years when he's a retired player and everybody can say, I watched you. Like when I was in Detroit and Al Kaline came and introduced himself to me, and I was like, oh, my God, it's Al Kaline. Because Mr. Tiger, Mr. Tiger didn't go play for the Brewers. He didn't go down and play for the Marlins. Of course, they weren't around, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Like, Mr. Mr. Tiger didn't end up a Ray or a Devil Ray. Al Kaline played his entire career in Detroit. I wish we could still have that, and I want Trout to stay. I wish he was healthy because he's one of the greatest players I've ever seen, and I wish he'd stay in Anaheim and stay there for his entire career.
3: I was trying to think of guys recently that have been guys that played their entire career you know, last 20 25 years and stayed in the whole in one location. Vado's going to be one with the Reds. Yeah, great. Uh, I can not even say King Felix of the Mariners cuz he moved. So yeah, it's it's mainly like Vado and I guess you can throw Jeter in there.
0: Yeah? And I mean, I mean, I'm, how many times were like, what cap is he going to wear in the Hall of Fame? Come on. Right? I mean, of course, Derek Jeter, the captain, he should play his entire career. Yeah, Joey Vado would be right if Joey Vado got shipped out to uh, Wherever. I'll
3: say the Blue Jays, he's from, he's from Canada. That's but.
0: terrible, man. He should be a red his entire... Gen- oh, Todd Helton with the Rockies all whole time. Gener- generations grow up watching you play. Generations. Chipper Jones. Fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, and then they have... People, generations watch you play. We need that back in our game. You don't want to see guys. I mean, really? You want to see Tom Brady as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer? You want to see Michael Jordan as a Washington wizard? No! It's what?
5: terrible. Ace Cast Live continues from the studio. Here's Chris Townsend.
6: The Bills make me want to shout. Kick your heels up and shout. Throw your hands up and Show! Throw your head back and Show! Come on now. The Bills are making it happen now. Stand
2: up now. Come on and shout. That is amazing. Is that good? That is so good. Oh, come on.
0: Chris. Dun 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 Monday night football. That's the way to you know what? When you think about the road to the Super Bowl for the Buffalo Bills starts with Monday night football in New York. You get to get after Aaron Rodgers, take them down week one. Does it get any better than this, friend?
2: No, it doesn't. This is uh this is a pretty exciting opening week for the Bills. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Aaron Rodgers is in New York. And, um, you know, I'm in Texas right now, so being able to, to, to watch the Bills on an off day in yeah. Texas doesn't get any better.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about it like, oh, yeah, you guys got Mondays off. And think about just you know what what it means for the bills this like this is the year right it's been building up it's been building up you got your quarterback he seems like he's on every commercial verizon commercial now he's getting his love it's like this is it right brady's gone miami might be a problem let's be honest miami might be a problem but this division right now this is this is your destiny is in your own hands
2: I I agree. Uh, The division is pretty tough, though. I mean, you mentioned Miami, and, you know, we'll see how the Jets are. They obviously have a very good defense and see how Rodgers does. But it's not a a cupcake division at all, and it'll be interesting to see how we come out this year.
0: Uh, Just how nice has it been to have that set day off where it's like a Monday where everybody knows – Whether I just need to relax, I gotta pay some bills, I gotta do some laundry, or even when you're on the road, just get your feet up. Uh, It's been obviously a long season. Triple A plays a long season. Just how big is it to know that you got this one day, and you can count on it every single week?
2: It's great because there's there's not a lot of stability in the minor league lifestyle, and to have that stability of having the the one day a week off, you know what day it is. Um, We travel a lot, so that's usually our flight day if we're going on the road or if we're coming home, and it just gives you a little buffer zone in between the six-game series we play to just kind of regroup, recharge, relax, and, you know, depending on what you're doing, depending on where you are, get a nice dinner, do something fun in whatever town you're in, and I I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy the the one day off a week. How much do you talk to your players about,
0: you know, hey – what you need to do, what's best for you, as you mentioned, sometimes it's about having fun, sometimes it's about having rest. How much do you guys have those discussions with the players?
2: Um, just just kind of conversations about work, life, baseball, balance in general, because all these guys have a lot of stuff going on, and it, you know you you can't grind on one thing too too much or else it'll consume you. Uh, you do need the, the mental relaxation, the physical relaxation sometimes. And at the same time, when, when we go back to work tomorrow, we'll, we'll get to work. We'll get after it and, you know, play play hopefully the best baseball of the season, these last 12 games of the regular season. You know, the
0: minor league season is so interesting because of all the player movement. you got to deal with all of that. We've talked to you before about, hey, the number one thing is getting guys ready to come up and play at the the big league level, and you're going to lose guys. You're going to have guys come back, guys go up. But in the end, you want to win. You're super competitive. You guys are playing well here in the second half. You're leading as we speak over Reno. What is that like as a manager to where you have this roller coaster ride of all these different things going on that you need to prepare and get ready for? But in the end, still you as a manager, you want to win.
2: Yeah, I mean, you said it. We we want to win every game. And I think if you just have the mentality that every day is like a different movie. You know, there's a very slim chance you're going to have the same roster in AAA for, you know, best-case scenario, more than a week at a, at a time. And this season's been no different. I, I, I don't think we've had the same roster for three days in a row, let alone a week. But it's just, it's just part of the game. It's part of the job. And it's part of the fun and challenge of... You know, no matter who you have on the roster that day, no matter who's pitching, who's in the bullpen, um, if they've taken five-year guys or you you know you're getting five other guys, but they're they're traveling, so you're short. It's just part of it, and you just have to you just have to make do on any given day. And I think uh, I think our staff and players have done a good job of that this year.
0: How much do you think that's made you a better manager?
2: Well, I, I I certainly think it helps me with my ability to adapt, adjust, be fluid. Um, understanding that it happens, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a decent amount of time now, and um, I'd like to say that nothing surprises me. But sometimes you 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 get a curveball, and it's like, whoa, that's never happened before. Um, but I I think it has helped me. I think it has helped me improve with my ability to think and react, and and. Uh, judge certain things on the fly and just go with the flow and go with what we have on any given night. Yeah, I
0: believe, and and, uh, you're very humble, but I believe you're going to manage in the big league someday. And I just wonder, you know, when, when you do have these long series, when you do have stuff that's abnormal to the big league level, the type of preparation, how that prepares you, because I think the one thing that, we don't talk about enough with managers is the chaos that you got to deal with on and off the field. You're dealing with human beings. You're dealing with guys, especially older guys who have wives and families and kids. There's a lot of things that you have to deal with that you will have to deal with at the big league level. That's why just all this chaos around you to me seems like great preparation for the big league job.
2: I, I agree. I agree. And being able to, to have the demeanor in the midst of chaos that, like I talked talked about earlier the lack of stability for a lot of things that happen in minor league baseball just to be that stable presence and that that kind of hopefully calming presence when you know things go awry or things are happening quickly and like you said the human side of it where these guys all have different lives personalities uh, family situations come from all different places and yeah, I, I think it does kind of help just to have the experience of just trying to remain as calm as you can in any, any of these situations.
0: When you have some guys who are on a little bit of the younger side, how important is it to finish the journey where we talk about getting through that long season? Because not only at the big league level, but at the AAA level, these guys, some of these young guys, it's the most games they've ever played in a year.
2: Yeah. And that that's, you know, you, you have to give these guys a lot of credit because I don't have to have a lot of conversations with them about their work ethic or what they're doing to prepare their bodies, what they're doing to prepare their minds before games. Uh, it's just a very professional group that I have a lot of trust in that they're going to do the right thing, you know, before games, during games, after games. And that, that's really a sign of a, a good group of, of people, a good group of players. And I think the results are starting to come on the field because we're playing our best baseball when, you know, they they should be at their most tired. They should be at their most beat up. They should be, you know, not putting out their best efforts. And we're seeing the opposite. So a lot of credit to those guys. How cool is
0: the playoffs when you get in? And everybody knows each other. There's like no secrets. You guys are playing so many games, and you play. I mean, like six game series are crazy to think you play the same guys over and over again. Just what? Well, take us through what the playoffs are like.
2: Well, I tell you what, these six game series and and going into hopefully a uh, playoff birth, ber- you <laughs> you almost have to like try try new things, think of new things, uh, new plays, new signs. Um, new new positioning, whatever the case is, just something that maybe can give you a competitive edge because we have seen these teams so many times throughout the course of 150-game season. But, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the question was, how is it to make the playoffs? And it's, it's unbelievable. You know, we won the division in 2019 and went to the playoffs, the, the first team uh, in Aviators history, and we're, we've positioned ourselves to do the same thing. And the guys have bought in. The guys are excited. The guys are, are playing for that reason right now. I mean, um, among others. And, you know, a lot of times in A seasons at the end of the year, if you're not playing for much, it's tough to motivate guys. It's tough to get guys to, you know, to dig deep and finish out the last 10, 15, 20 games. And, you know, we, another thing that we don't have to worry about, these guys are engaged, they're locked into what they're doing and they're they're. They're playing a really intense, really fun, really focused type of baseball right now.
0: You know, it's one thing when a guy wears you out for three straight games. In these long series, how do you handle an offensive player who's either worn you out throughout the season or he's worn you out, like, let's just say, the first four games? I mean, at some point, you get tired of a guy wearing your ass out. So, like, what kind of changes? Like, what do you do going, I'm tired of this guy beating me? Like, how do you go about that?
2: That that is such a great question because there is always one guy every team we play that will just kill us. Yeah, and we'll we'll try to mix up our our, our approach with them. We'll try to pitch them differently. We'll try to pitch them inside, knock them off the dish a little bit. And for whatever reason, and you know our, our guys do it to other teams too. I I think it's just across across the game in the PCL. There's always one guy that just kills you for the series and maybe kills you for the season. And it's just a confidence thing with him. It's just uh, maybe he feels comfortable playing against the aviators or whatever the case is. He, you're just always trying to make adjustments. That You know, if, if, if he lines out a couple of times, you're like, oh, at least we got him out a couple of times. <laughs> but that's, that's definitely an issue, and that's a great question. All right, so some of the players that
0: we've been looking at, now that you've got to see Daryl hernandez we know he's an offensive player. He's still young. What what do you view as his future defensively? Shortstop, third, I, where do you view him defensively
2: long-term? I mean, I, I think he can play all three, third, short, and second. He's he's played probably 90% of his games here at shortstop, and he's done a really nice job. Um, he works very hard at it. He wants to stay at the shortstop position. You know, there's been some people that have told him, hey, you might end up a second baseman. You might end up a third baseman. And at the end of the day, he wants to play in the big leagues. And I, I don't care. I don't think he would care much if he was playing at second base or third base in the big leagues. But at the same time, he's got a, a really, really high belief in his skill set to play shortstop. And that's what he wants to do in the big leagues. And I, I just don't doubt that this kid can do anything that he wants to do because he has such incredible self-belief and confidence in his abilities. And I just wouldn't put anything past Darrow because – I think he's that good of a player. All
0: right, speaking of second base, I came up with this over the weekend. Uh, A guy that used to play for you, he's now starring for the Oakland Athletics, is Zach Geloff. We've been trying to come up with a comp, but it's like I'm a dinosaur now when I bring people up because all these young people that I work with, they have no idea. I was trying to think, who does he remind me of? I came up with Ryan Sandberg. What do you think about that as a comp for Zach Geloff?
2: Yeah, I I mean, that's pretty high praise, but – uh, I, I would say that Zach has the ability to turn in the kind of career that, that Ryan Sandberg turned in. I, I mean, he, just so athletic and, and so, so gifted on both sides of the ball, the way he runs bases, uh, his, his mindset and the way he goes about everything. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a really good one. Actually. I wouldn't call you a dinosaur for saying that. Fran, you would have thought I was talking about a guy in the 1930s. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's
2: not like he dropped a, Wagner,
0: I, I mean, I felt like I was like sharpening spikes, taking trains, playing in wool uniforms. That's what I like. Ryan Sandberg, like I I forget a lot of these kids. Because the reason why I went with Sandberg is Sandberg early in his career ran a lot. Like there were there was a year he had fifty-four stolen bases, multiple years he had thirty. He's six one. Geloff's about six two. Uh, you know, there there's a lot of when you look at their games, seem very similar. And, I, and I've just been looking for a comp. And I like that one. Uh Brett
2: Harris, how is he doing? Well, he he's doing, he's doing great. Are you asking about how he's doing on the field or how he's doing physically after getting hit with a 97-mile-an-hour fastball in the face?
0: I didn't see that. My God, is he all right? I didn't know about that.
2: Uh Yeah, honestly, it was best-case scenario. I mean, he took it flush in the face, and oh. he handled absolute champ. Um But, yeah, there's no facial fractures, and – uh he, he still has all his teeth. Um, he had to get six stitches in his lip, and uh, he's got some concussion symptoms. But, you know, all things being equal, it was really the best-case scenario for taking that kind of uh, violent hit-by-pitch. But yeah. before that, he was he was fantastic, you know, playing a great third base and, and hitting the ball real well and make, making adjustments that he needed to make. And hopefully he only gets to, gets to miss a, a few games and get back on the field for us.
0: Are you excited for a lot of your guys – for this coming spring training that you know that, I mean, we're going to have just a massive fight everywhere for jobs. I can't wait. It's going to be a bunch of young guys. We're all going to be there. Let's fight it out for who's going to be the twenty-six. I think you got a lot of guys on your roster that got a shot next year. Are you excited for that?
2: I am. I, we have a lot of really good, young, hungry players. And, you know, just I've had conversations about that exact thing, you know, going into spring training next year and fighting for, Uh, spot on the big league roster and there's there is going to be quite a few people from this this roster that are going to you know make those bids and make those pushes to to make the big league team and i think it's exciting i think anytime there's competition for the highest level in sports it's it's a good thing for the organization for the players for a winning environment a winning atmosphere because the competition is spring training and and usually, you know, spills over into the competition of the season. And the more good players you have competing for those spots, you know, chances are the better off your major league team is going to be. So I think it's going to, it's going to be a really good spring training next year.
0: One more on the team, Joey Estes. What have we seen so far? I believe he's still 21 or just turned 22.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's going to be really good um, for how young he is how mature he is, how poised he is on the mound, the way he competes, his focus, his energy. Uh, you can see it in the way people defend behind him. He is really good tempo. And I haven't even started talking about his stuff, which is which is really good as well. Um, you know, he's, take, he's taken some some learning curve lumps that a lot of people take when they come up to a different level. And he's smart as a whip and is, is doing a really nice job of making adjustments. And I think he's got a really bright, bright future ahead of him.
0: Well, back to football, the most important thing here, you, you realize you. Um, Super Bowl's in Las Vegas. So when the Bills are in the Super Bowl in Las Vegas, you're not going to have to make crazy travel plans. You got the place to stay. You know, the lay of the land. This is going to be an easy Super Bowl for you.
5: I think we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. What are you talking about? You got to believe. If you don't believe, you can't get there.
2: (laughs) You got to believe. I appreciate the confidence. Hey, I will tell you a a great story. Well, like I said, we just we just landed in Austin and drove to Round Rock. Yeah, and it's an off day, and the staff is looking for a place to watch the game. And the Anchor Bar is your the original chicken wing restaurant started in Buffalo, you know, 70, 75 years ago. The mojo. Yeah. Well, guess what? There's an anchor bar franchise here in round rock of all places. Is that not a sign? Uh, call my bookie and let's put all our money on the bills to win the Super bowl.
0: <laughs> it's, it's out in front of us right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we're heading over there after this call actually. And we're going to, uh, you know, belly up to about 200 chicken wings and watch the bills beat the jets tonight. You're telling me a
0: franchise that started in Buffalo is in Austin, Texas.
2: Yeah. And there's not even a lot of, there's maybe five franchises of this place in in the entire country. And one of them's in Texas. What in the Jim Kelly is going on here.
0: (laughs) That is a sign.
2: I I couldn't agree more.
0: Well, I, 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 I'm very happy for your, but you know, beat. Do you have it? Uh, Monday night football. You know, as a Raider fan, going in week one, winning in Denver, your first win in division on a, in a tough place to play is huge. You go in week one, it's only week one, but you go into New York, Aaron Rodgers, win week one, on the road in division, people really don't realize, when you talk about how hard it is to win in sports, it's hard to win in the NFL on the road, in division. This will really be huge for you guys.
2: Yeah, I agree. Hopefully a great way to start the season and hopefully a fun game. You know, It should be fun to, to watch two offenses and two really good defenses battle it out. So we'll see. Looking for uh, East domination tonight for the Bills.
0: Chicken wings, beer, Monday night football, and a Bills win. Go have fun, my friend. And we always appreciate the time. And we'll talk to you when you guys are in the playoffs.
2: All right. Thanks a lot.
0: Awesome. A little Monday night football talk there with the great Fran Reard, the leader of men. Bobby, it's great to see you. How are you? I know it's at the end of the season, but it's always good to have you on AceCast Cast Live. Thanks, Tony. I'm
4: good. Yeah, six more left and, and we're done, but it's been a good year.
0: You know, what a battle you've had throughout the season, right? You've had to deal with a lot of different players. We'll get into that, but but right now, sitting at 500, just talk about what the season's been like for you and your staff.
4: Uh, It's been a roller coaster. I mean, we, we knew coming in, we had a bunch of prospects and, you know, I had had almost the same team for the past couple of years, you know, guys repeating here in double-A and this year, you know, we had, you know, new faces. We had Lawrence Butler and Denzel Clark and Darrell her and it was a different kind of group. Um, And then, you know, about a month or two in, they all gelled and became tight and we're firing as a team. And then, you know, next thing you know, they're all gone up to triple-A and I got a whole new crop. So, it's been it's been up and down. It's been crazy having one team, and then pretty much the whole team leaves, and you got a whole you know whole new set of guys to deal with. But it's been a good. It's been a good challenge.
0: We had Fran Reardon on yesterday, and I'm going to ask you the same question about. Obviously, it's great when your guys get promoted. That's exactly what you want to see. Then you have a new crop come in, as you said. But still, at Midland, you want to win. It's about winning, and you have a message, and you have a style, and there's a way that you want to play. What is that like when the team is constantly changing, but your message isn't going to change?
4: Yeah, I guess that's the biggest part. Is I, you know, I got to stay on the path on on what I believe and how I expect them to play the game. You know, this year was a little bit different because we had so many guys leave. There's only a few guys left that really, you know, understood exactly what I wanted. So for the first couple of weeks, there's some growing pains where guys had to understand, you know, the type of game that I want to be played and what they should do in certain situations. You know, I like to let guys almost fail a little bit here, um, and then I, I let them know what they did wrong, opposed to saying, hey, you have to do this. This has to be the way. Um, so it's a little bit different style, but, um, you know, it, it took some time um, for the other guys to to fully understand what my expectations were. But, um, you know, we, we end up kind of going on a roll there, and guys have played well.
0: You know, you said the word fail, and I've been talking about that a lot lately on this show and also on the A's Clubhouse show after the game. It just seems to me in the sport of baseball, we are afraid to have people fail. And failure is a part of life, right? It's, it's called job experience. And so many times a guy starts to struggle, they say shut him down or send him down or... Talk about that fail. I mean, you went through this process as a player. Yeah. Failure is a part of your growth and help makes you better. Why are we so afraid of that in our game now?
4: I hope we're not. I mean, at least we're not, you know, at our level. Or, you know, I, I like guys to to make mistakes. Like I said, I, I don't want to coach robots. I don't want guys to just know everything they're supposed to do, and, and they have to do it exactly that way right out the gate. Um, I like them to you know, make mistakes and understand why they made them. They're not just going about the game in just a robotic fashion where they just are doing whatever I say and don't know why they're failing. So for them to make the mistakes themselves and then we talk about it and they understand it, to me, that's a better learning process. So you can see the kind of the light click on at some point when they're they're doing things that I feel is the right way to play and the a system believes.
0: You know, I, I, I think about I'm married to a teacher, so I know it's like to be around someone who's a coach and a teacher every day and being around you for so long and watch you evolve, and that, that's what I think about with you. I think about, yeah, coaching and teaching. I really view you so much also as a teacher. You care about these kids, but you want them to do it the right way. You have that belief there's an Oakland A's way to play baseball. Just talk about for you as a coach, manager, how you have evolved and how basically you understand this, so much of this is really teaching the game.
4: Yeah, it's teaching the game and it's, and it's teaching the personalities. It's, you know, some guys, the way the game is now, guys like to celebrate a little bit more, you know, and, and that could be shown <laughs> it on the field. I mean, maybe, yeah. it's not maybe, it's a definitely. Um, and how they do things, and that's not how I was brought up. I was, you know, brought up to act like you've done it before. Um, so it's it's a little bit different way, and you have to read guys, you know, differently. Um, every player wants to be coached a certain way and it's our job to figure out what they, you know, what makes them tick. And for me, it's, you know, this season was a, it was a trying season. It it was a lot of different personalities, a lot of different talent levels and to get guys to buy into a a singular goal and, and a way of doing things and, and celebrate when you're winning, when you're winning and you're, and you're, and you're doing awesome yourself. Great. Celebrate it. Have fun. But you know, you hit a double and, and we're down by six, and you want to give the the antlers to the team, you know, to your teammates. Like, dude, that m- now might not be the time. So <laughs> yeah, there's some learning curves, but you know, you gotta you know find out at what point you can kind of teach them and help them out.
0: It's so true. Like you'll be ro- you'll be watching a game in like in Colorado, and it's fourteen to like four, and the guy does it, and every team's got their little thing, and you're like. Yeah. Bro, you're getting blown out by 10. What are you doing? I mean, but yeah. I mean that that, that that is the game today. Uh, but I love the fact that, you know, it's how it, you're doing it because you care about these kids. You just talk about, you know, you've had a lot of guys go up to AAA this year. What are those conversations like? Because I got to think when they're getting that message from you, a guy who played in the big leagues, had success in the big leagues, and when you talk to them about that graduation, It's got to mean a a lot to these players. So just talk about kind of your message when guys go from you now and up to AAA. Well, I mean,
4: it's, it's obviously a good message. It's obviously, you know, when I get to promote someone, it's a, it's a good feeling. And I hope that when they go to Fran or they go to Cox in the big leagues, they, they understood here the right way to play. So for me, it's, it's just, you know, it's, I'm excited for them, you know, and I still talk to all the guys that, that have left here and are in Vegas or in Oakland, Um, I, you know, I guess I've built bonds with those guys where, where they know that, you know, I'll always have their back and always stick up for them. And, and, you know, when a guy leaves here, it's, it's a celebration. It's, it's tough for our team personally, but, you know, winning is, is a big part of it, but then getting to the next level and experiencing AAA in the big leagues is, is what it's about.
0: I remember when we drafted Max Muncy and I went, is it wet? Is this true? There's another Max Muncy. It's Max Muncy 2.0. And, of course, we always get to interview the kids for the first time. And, man, he looked like a high schooler. He looked like he was fresh out of high school. He's now – everything's changed. He's grown. He's growing up. So, tell us, Max Muncy 2.0, how, how's he doing with you?
4: He's doing great. Um, you know, when he first got here, he looked like he was just kind of swinging the bat, Didn't didn't really have a plan. Um, but he's evolved. I mean, since he's been here, he's cleaned up his his defensive actions. He's He's been a lot more smoother and under control. And at the plate, he has a plan and knows what he wants to do. I think he's hitting around 300 right now. Um, he has some pop. He's got energy. Um, he doesn't lack confidence. Um, he's along the same lines of Geloff when I had Geloff, where he just knows he's good. Um, he doesn't really stress too much about you know, going over four or over six or over eight because he knows at the end of the day he's really good. So he has that internal belief, which is which is which is big. I think mean, most big leaguers have that. Um, he has all the actions. You know, he still has some growing up to do. Of course, he's young. He just turned twenty one, but overall he's going to be good. He has power. He has power at the shortstop you know position, and uh, once he finds tune his approach a little bit more. Um, he's going to be really good. But, you know, it's a constant uh, thing with him and working and and making sure he understands the game and understands how to play it the right way. A lot of guys come out of high school and and they were taught in high school, but the college guys really have a, a better feel of of the winning way and how to do things in certain situations, where to be on every play. And and he still has a few things to learn, but he's going to go to the fall league and, and, you know, he'll get some exposure there and hopefully learn a few things more and he'll be good.
0: Yeah, we all know when you play college baseball, especially when you first get in freshman, sophomore year, you're going to get it handed to you a little bit. These high school guys, I mean, like we all dominated high school, and then all of a sudden I can't imagine. I mean, I know what the the route of playing in college, but I I, I don't know the route of going from high school to the minor leagues. And when you said approach, I just imagine you get to – guys in double A can flat out pitch. What that must be like when you get to double-A for the first time, if you don't have approach, you're going to learn real quick, uh-oh, I better get one.
4: Yeah, it's an eye-opener. It's an eye-opener for a lot of guys. Um, there's some guys that come here, and, uh, I mean, Max has done a pretty good job. It was really only a few weeks that, that he you know, he struggled, and after that, he, he did well. But, I mean, the Lawrence Butlers of the world and the Zach Geloffs that come here and just dominate out the gate, that's pretty rare. Um, but for how old Muncie is, I mean, at 21, I was in college, I was a college junior. And for him to be hitting 300 in double A and handling himself the way he is, um, it's good to see, but yeah, I mean, double has some arms. If you can hit here, uh, you can hit, you know, you can hit at the highest level. And right now he's doing it.
0: Cooper Bowman was a part of the Yankee trade that we never talk about, right? We're so worried about the arms and we're seeing the arms. Tell us how he's doing.
4: He's great. Um, you know, he's uh, he's a guy who the more he puts the ball in play, the better it's going to be for his career. This guy gets on base and it's a triple. Um, it's kind of like Ruiz a little bit wow. where uh, he gets on first. He's still second. He's still third. Um, he has a knack for it. He knows when to go. He's, he's a smart baseball player, um, plays good defense. We've thrown him in the outfield a few times, but mainly has played second base here. But uh, he's definitely a game changer. Once he gets on the base, he's a he's a game changer, and he has some pop. He's got to figure out, like I said, how to put the ball and play more and create a little bit of chaos at the plate. Um, but once he does that, he's going to be really good because if if he gets on, it's, it's it's
0: special. How much have you enjoyed this type of player being back in baseball and coveted in baseball?
4: Oh, I love it. I mean, that's you know, I mean, the group we we kind of got after we had that uh, you know big loss of guys going up to AAA it's a scrappy group. I love the guys that know how to bunt, that can steal bases, that can get guys over with less than two, that can get them in, that can safety squeeze, that can do all the little small things. So this type of baseball, I love. I mean, you, you love to have guys that can hit the ball to the park all the time, but if you can get guys that can manufacture runs and know how to do it and, and don't need me to tell them every time if the third baseman's back and it's there, do it. Um, so, you know, that's kind of what I said about learning through through failures or them not seeing it themselves. Um, guys picking that up on their own now is, you know, that's what brings me joy is seeing them do it through themselves and use their own brain on the field and know where to be and know what to do in certain situations. So, you know, this type of baseball, the way the game is evolving with the small ball aspect, I love it. I mean, it's, it's something that appeals to me and, and the, the baseball, old school baseball mindset.
0: Learn how to win. It's like we get so much into how hard do you throw, what's the barrel rate, what's the exit velocity. It's like we're playing a game. There is a way to play the game, and it's tough when you when you execute small ball. It's tough to defend. I mean, it's like all the time we are we we talk about a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with actually winning the game. I mean, listen to it's like you're building a a Long Beach State program there in Midland.
4: Yeah, I mean you're spot on. You know, I'll sit there and talk with the guys and they'll be talking about what this guy's flair is or what he's got going on. And I put an end to it real quick. It's, you know, it's about, you know, watch this guy hit a pop-up and run, watch this guy hit a pop-up and he's still standing at home plate and it drops and he looks like a fool.
2: Yeah.
4: Um, you know, it's, you know, teaching these guys how to play the game the right way is, is my, one of my biggest joys and teaching them how to execute and, and, and how to win and, and what really matters, you know, I mean, you, you know, you have this uh, this X break and Z break and you have, you know, uh, this launch angle. Great. But can you get a guy in with less than two? Can you lay down a bunt when we need it? Can you um, be in the right spot? Do you know where to be on every play? It's all these little small things that, you know, you see in the playoffs when the playoffs come around. All of a sudden, everybody becomes a small, you know, small ball team and what it takes to win. But, you know, you, it's possible to do that every day and figure out a way to to win that game and and with the group i have right now and uh you know that's kind of more the route we're going guys are playing the right way and, and figuring out a right way to win
0: when daniel susak was drafted by the a's and they brought him over to a's cast live and i looked down i went man this guy looks like a traditional drop back quarterback i mean he's a big yeah. dude right i mean a really big guy uh could be the future behind the dish i mean he's swinging it well big guy. I've, I've never really I, I, we get to interview him. I've never really seen him play. Just talk about his game offensively and defensively behind the play.
4: Yeah, defensively, he's he's been really good. You know, he's got a few little things, you know, with his blocking that that he's had a few missteps, but for the most part, he's been really good. I mean, he's got a great arm. Uh, he's made some great throws a second. Uh, guys really don't try to run on him too much since he's been here, or they haven't. Uh, it's uh, It's a pretty impressive arm, so I think you know the catching is only going to improve and the bat has been really good. He's another guy who's hitting over 300 here and he's only been here for you know a few weeks but he came out the gate really well. Uh he's got some power, he has power to all fields. Um and he knows he knows how to play. You know, he's a guy who, you know, went to college and, and understands the right way to play the game and knows how to win and knows how to pick his spots on on uh you know even stealing. He's he's picked a few spots that were that were good. So overall his, his game's good' he's, he's got some development to do still and probably some approach things at the plate that haven't haven't yet been really exposed here because he's hit really well that he'll have to adjust to, but but he's a uh, he's, he's a good one for sure he's gonna be a good player well
0: i tell you what it is always an honor to have you on the program someday probably pretty soon you're gonna be a big league manager just just don't forget us here at a's cast once you get that big <laughs> league job don't forget us
4: I uh, never will of course Tony.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I hope you have a great offseason. We'll see. We'll talk to you during the offseason. Of course, before you know it, we'll get through the holidays. It's fantasy camp, and, and then it's uh, spring training. But congratulations on another terrific year, because I don't look at record. I look at the teaching, and everybody talks about what you're doing down there in Midland is something special. So congratulations, and we'll talk to you in the off season.
4: I appreciate that, Downey. Thank you.
0: Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, I'm pretty sure they're super busy at ESPN trying to figure out how LeBron James or Tom Brady or who's going to play quarterback for the Jets. I mean, can LeBron play? I mean, we know LeBron played in high school. Paul Himbechides joins us. The legendary Himbo, as we've said, author of the best-selling book, There You Go, will make a great present for all sports fans as we, before you know it, are going to be at the holidays. I don't know. Is it Philip Rivers? Is it LeBron? Is it Tom Brady? Who's going to play quarterback
1: for the Jets? You know, I spent the last four months on paternity leave from May through August. I spent way more time thinking about Zach Geloff than I spent thinking about Aaron Rodgers. I come back, I'm at ESPN for a week before we kick off the season, just working my way back, getting my sea legs beneath me, and four plays, four freaking plays, the NFL schedule, the NFL hype machine, the, the the ESPN greenie Twitter mob, like the whole thing, down in one fell swoop, in a heap. On a, on a on a free play on some artificial turf in the swamp in New Jersey, it is a sordid tale, my friend. Here on the East Coast,
0: yeah, it. I, I mean, I I, it, I can't believe it. Like you just can't believe all the hype, everything that went into it, and you're like four plays, seventy five seconds, and he's done for the year. That's just you can't make that up
1: you can't make it up it could not have possibly happened to any other fan base aside from the new york jets which i think this is now proof positive beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is a cursed fan base perhaps the most cursed fan base in all of sports but candidly for as much as we you and i joke around about you know the hype machine and all of the aaron Rodgers of it all the last few years much of which was manufactured this is as big a letdown as i can ever recall seeing in sports in my lifetime never has there ever been a player with more hype surrounding his change of team and his debut. Like this guy's running out on Monday night football in front of 80,000 people carrying the American flag. And minutes later, I mean, it almost feels like a fever dream. I don't remember anything ever happening quite like this in any sport in my lifetime. Look, maybe I don't have the the, the frame of reference here, but this really struck me as something that like in the moment is sort of an all timer.
0: So most watched game Monday night football history on ESPN. So What would be the bigger moment, this or Jimmy Hoffa being buried in the end zone at the Meadowlands? Which
1: is a bigger moment? By the way, can you believe that in the history of ESPN on Monday Night Football, Monday Night Football on ESPN, this is number one, and it was number one, and this guy only played for four snaps. Like, the collective interest in this, as you demonstrated, is just astronomical. Like, people always ask me, yourself included, why do you guys spend so much time talking about X, Y, or Z? In some cases, why do you guys spend so much time talking about Aaron Rodgers? Well, it seems like the collective interest of the whole country was fixated upon MetLife Stadium on Monday night, and in a puff of smoke, it all disappeared. But, like, look, this guy obviously resonates with the national audience, and the fact that we're going to get to watch Zach Wilson play, like, four or five more primetime games is an absolute disaster (laughs) for the NFL. (laughs) We're going to watch him and Patrick Mahomes play on the same football field in a month, and uh, that is going to be a site for sore eyes or a site that creates sore eyes.
0: This is why, when we always rip, why do they play Yankees, Red Sox? This is a great example because – this was Jets, Bills. This was not New York football giants against the Dallas Cowboys. This was the secondary team playing the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, the Bills are are, are a sheet team. They've been good. But this is Jets. This isn't the glory. This isn't the Cowboys and the Giants or the – I mean, and this is the most watched game ever. Yeah, so you, it, it it puts it puts all of us West Coasters back in our place where you realize this is what the country, when you put the, a top-storied New York team or East Coast team or Red Sox-Yankees, there's a reason why.
1: Yeah, there is a reason why. And it was my belief that now that Tom Brady had retired, Aaron Rodgers, in effect, becomes the face of the whole league. Now, some people might argue that, That should be Patrick Mahomes, who's pretty clearly the best player. But that's Kansas City. Small market. Right. Right. You've been doing this long enough to know that you accrue fame in life by being famous for a really, really long time, by being on television for decades. That's why all of the presidents that we elect are 80 years old, right? Like the, the amount of time that you've spent being famous is huge. Aaron Rodgers was next in line after Tom Brady. And we got four plays of it. It's going to wind up going down as one of the, uh, one of the hu- uh, huge sports disasters of this time, regardless of whether or not he plays in the future. My hope sort of uh, as an ancillary point, my hope is that we use this moment and I'm going to make a baseball analogy for you. Uh, we use this moment kind of like we used in 2011 to create the Buster Posey rule. So Buster Posey was struck at home plate. They changed the rule forever. We had, playing ba- we had been playing baseball for one way for 140 years. Buster Posey breaks his leg. All of a sudden we decided we couldn't do it that way anymore. Why on God's green earth are we still playing football on artificial turf, for God's sake? It is an absolute disgrace that this is still a thing, in my opinion. We know for sure, based upon all of the modeling, that it would cost the NFL almost no money. It'd be a drop in the bucket. $11.9 million would be the estimated initial cost. To, to create a grass surface on every field that there is. That is a, a rounding error for a $25 billion Tip money. enterprise. Tip money. I don't care about the Taylor Swift concert, about Monster Truck. Let's figure out a way for these people to be playing a highly dangerous game on grass. I don't know that Aaron Rodgers' injury would not have occurred if it were not played on turf. What I do know is that it sure didn't help. And given the fact that the players have reported all these studies with all this data that say it's pretty clear, guys, this is a more dangerous playing surface, that injuries like this happen more frequently, and also the severity of injuries like that, like this are exacerbated as a result. This, to me, seems like a really easy fix, and much like Buster Posey in 2011, now we have our flashpoint. Now we have our our, our touchstone moment to make that change.
0: Hit by Scott Cousins, not Kurt Cousins, by the way. Uh, a good thing for you as a father, since you brought old Swifty up, Good news for you is by the time your kids are older, she's going to be older, so she'll kind of be out of. A... Swifty just came to town and got me for a fourth time. She's got me a fourth time. Wow. she's gotten me me wow. twice at Levi Stadium and twice at the Shark Tank. She has got me four mm, times.
1: She is living rent-free in your checking account, my Oh, friend. my God. So I, I, I said I to my have... wife,
0: I said to my wife, I go, do you know how much money we've contributed to this woman? It's a lot. It's a lot.
1: These, I mean, it's a lot. So this is this is a something of a humble brag. I actually, I'm not a Swifty. My wife is a car carrying Swifty and has been for many years. We actually saw her in May when she came to the Meadowlands at MetLife Stadium. Uh, she she did not hurt herself uh, on that turf, but we we know a friend we we know someone in the band, so we got like the friends and family discount, and that was an ungodly amount of money. Yeah, so well, uh, I I don't even want to know how many commas were were in your StubHub account. Four for tickets, those tickets, and
0: my wife had to like sit there and like be on the computer forever, and it finally popped up, and just just to have the chance to go, what you got
1: to pay? All oh, right, well, buddy. Have you? Heard, I, time, we can't we can't move off of this before we bring up the Travis Kelsey of it all. The specter of this is far too significant. I assume you've heard the Taylor Swift. Travis Kelsey dating rumors. And and if so, I assume that you have formed a strong opinion by now. I
0: I, I mean, seriously, I, I, I like the Kelsey brothers, the new Heights podcast. I'll I'll do deep dives sometimes because I I think Jason's really fascinating as a center and being an Eagles fan. And I I like him a lot. He's a great player, Uh, but I'm a little Kelsey'd out. So I'm not ready for (laughs) Swifty Kelsey. Yeah, I'm with you. He's, He's not built for this. He's not built for this. You're not. This is it. This isn't Kansas City anymore. You start <laughs> hooking up with her. And next thing you know, you, you don't do it right. You're going to end up on some song and every chick is going to think you're the worst guy in the world. I don't do it. Pull the plug. Pull the back Quickly, before we get to the uh, stuff you want to get into, I have a comp for Zach Geloff. Are you ready? Hit me. And this is going to go with your book that hopefully will come out about baseball Hall of Famers someday. My comp, when I think a second base, taller second base, power to all fields, could run. Because remember, this player I'm going to give you used to run when he was younger, really strong defensively. I think the comp for Zach Geloff is
1: Ryan Sandberg. <clears throat> high praise. Really, really high praise. Uh, Ryan Sandberg um, – arguably the best second baseman this side of joe morgan ryan sandberg i think in the grand scheme of things a little bit underrated actually a player who i believe is superior to roberto alomar who i think a lot of people consider the greatest second baseman of the last 50 years i think sandberg i think rhino was a better player he was was, frankly uh the numbers say he was a uh, superior defender he was an excellent runner uh had, had an absolutely brilliant peak a great player I think Zach Geloff could definitely be a poor man's Ryan Sandberg. I like everything that I see from that kid. I picked him up in my fantasy team like very early on in his career, so I've been following him just selfishly because of that. And I, anytime I watch the A's play, he's always someone that really jumps off the screen. I love the skill set. I honestly feel like I should have known more about him as an amateur. A UVA kid, right? Who yeah. Who has a really like- Second polished- rounder profile coming out of that program what I like most about him like I didn't realize he had that kind of zing in in the bat like I thought Zach Geloff was going to be more of like a punch and Judy type hitter who whose power comes to him like especially in that ballpark like he he hits for a lot more power has a lot more punch in that barrel than I would have expected and with the mastery of the strike zone that he already has at that age like he's he's practically in his prime now when you when you draft these kids out of college that are advanced and have these sort of old man skills for lack of a better term and in this case, he's kind of an underrated athlete. I honestly can, like, I I consider this kid a potential all-star. Um, Ryan Sandberg's a tough comp because he's a Hall of Famer, but it, you can dream big. And when I see this kid play, I, I see a, a a perennial all-star contender at that position, especially because of all the tools in that kid of his. I'm a huge fan of his uh, of his game. Think about it. Your first time ever facing Justin Verlander, and why
0: I have the sam One of the reasons why I have the Sandberg comp. It's because Sandberg had power to all fields, we're seeing that was with, uh, with Gelloff. He's foul pole to foul pole. Your first time ever facing Justin Verlander, double off the right field wall, double down the left field line. How many guys the first time they ever face uh, Justin Verlander
1: go two for two, two doubles? I mean, I would have asked Justin Verlander for his autograph if I faced him for the first time. That's how much that's how much older he is than Zach Gelloff. The, the the reason why I think what you said is so incredibly important. And I wanna make sure that I underline this and say this uh, properly. If you can drive the ball with conviction to the opposite field, it means you see it better than most people, right? It's one thing to catch the ball out front and drive it out of the park to your pull side. If you can allow that ball to travel in the hitting zone further away from your body and you can drive it to the opposite field, your hand-eye coordination is off the charts. And if you're facing a pitcher as good as Justin Verlander that early in your career, and you're not taking defensive swings, And you can, for lack of a better term, back leg that pitch and backspin it to right field the way that he did, the way that he can. That's a rare skill because not only does it demonstrate that he has this this pull-to-pull power, as you demonstrated, but that's going to play up in other ways because it shows to me that he has the ability to allow that baseball to travel and so he's going to have to guess less frequently than most players. If you have to guess less frequently than most players, your misses aren't going to be swings and misses. They're, they're going to be foul tips, or maybe they're going to be ground ball through. Your misses, for lack of a better term, are not going to be nearly as pronounced. All of a sudden, you've created a lot more productive at-bats, and the range of outcomes for yourself is a lot wider. Like, you've created a situation now where a bad swing is a single instead of a swing and a miss. That was a long way of saying that. But I really like this kid's game, and I think the point – the Verlander point is a good one because it shows he has, like – he has skills in his bag that some some really good hitters never develop, and he's got it he, – he had them in the big leagues from day one.
0: Breaking news in Major League Baseball, Max Scherzer will be the quarterback for the New York Jets week 2. <laughs> no, no. Max Scherzer is done for the year. It is a low-grade teres major strain. I mean, I I know he was dealing with bicep tendinitis, that's something that I had, but Max Scherzer is out for the main the remainder of the regular season. They say the regular season, not the postseason, the regular season. Boy, that's not good news for the Texas Rangers, who have already been taken. They've had two really good wins in Toronto, but they've been taking on a lot of water.
1: That's a devastating blow. The, the amount of capital that they gave up for Max Scherzer, the amount that they, they needed him for the rest of the stretch run, and the amount that they would need him for the postseason was obviously significant. But I hate to say that this was foreseeable, but this is kind of the Max Scherzer that I've come to expect. I mean, he doesn't suffer the, like he hasn't suffered these major season, injury, uh, season ending injuries in the past, but he really limped to the finish line last year after struggling with his health throughout the season. This is what happens when you're a pitcher of it with an advanced age, with all those moving parts in your mechanics, like Max Scherzer doesn't have it. Like he doesn't throw it easy, you know, like he doesn't have the same luxury as other pitchers that have aged well. Like he's a max effort guy, you know, pun not intended. Like he's not, He's not the kind of guy that can just let it go free and easy. And so I suppose we should not consider this much of a surprise for someone that has that much going on with his with his body, with that head whip, with all the things that he's been able to maintain for so long. But you know this, like you you pitch a high level to at least to some degree. Like pitching, it's 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 a high wire act. It's a balancing act because like what, Mac, what makes Max Scherzer great, in some sense, is all that stuff, right? Like the way that he's able to max max effort on every pitch and blow that cheese up in the zone and then break off that slider in the bottom half and everything in between. But what goes into that is such that now, like, when you're not able to, when you're not able to uh, survive at 90%, unfortunately this is what happens. And with someone at this age making $43 million a year, you wonder if we're ever going to get that version of Max Scherzer ever again. It's a sad day. All right, let's get
0: into some uh, notes here from baseball. Your neck of the woods, big news. David Stearns, a lot of people love him, thinks he's a really bright guy, what he did with the Brewers, uh, now hired to run the New York Mets. How do you like the move?
1: I like the move a lot for the Mets. This was probably the worst kept secret in baseball over the last year. It seemed a sort of a fait accompli that he would come over from Milwaukee to the Mets. This is obviously being viewed and painted here locally as Andrew Friedman 2.0. So obviously Andrew Friedman has just an enormous success uh, in a small market in Tampa. The Dodgers poach him away. He's effectively been able to build a baseball empire out in Los Angeles with this really shrewd Uh, drafting and player development system that enables them to regenerate while at the same time being able to spend gobs and gobs of money so you never effectively have to rebuild and you can remain competitive almost perpetually as you regenerate that system that's obviously going to be the the frame of reference that the Mets and their fans use for everything that David Stearns does it seems like Billy Epler their current GM will sort of report to him for lack of a better term and so they're going to have that kind of brain trust at the top to me Billy Epler's track record is spotty at best candidly but this is a good move uh, by Steve Cohen, who recognized uh, sort of a void in leadership in that sense in his organization. And David Cerns is just objectively great at his job. They've had excellent records during the time in which he's been there, and they have been outstanding in the world of run prevention. They haven't really done a great job of, uh, in scouting and player dev. Um, he does a great job of identifying talent in other organizations, and their player development staff has been excellent. That has been excellent. Um the fact that they've been able to turn out Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta and and Josh Hader previously, like they definitely build high-end pitching talent and have been able to find those guys in places that you might not expect. So if you can couple that genius with the fact that the Mets could outspend everyone by an order of magnitude, you make better decisions on the free agent market. There is no obvious reason why the Mets can't be great. And Steve Cohen is going to leave no stone unturned in making that team great. And and for my money, David Stearns is a really good place to start. The one uh, note that I'll add here, is that Craig Council, the manager, his manager previously in Milwaukee, is a free agent. And I think there's a non-zero chance that Craig Council winds up following him there. I think they'll make him the highest paid manager in baseball. I think Buck Showalter, whom I believe is a remarkably overrated manager, will uh, will get the boot. I think that will be an easy thing for them to do. I don't know it for sure, but if Craig Council is available and Steve Cohen wants to pay him, then he's going to be their manager next year and not Buck.
0: Yeah, with all you just said, it sounds great. Stearns is going to the Mets. He's screwed. That's just how it works He's going to the Mets, Jets, Mets It is what it is All right. I was just uh, a little bit Earlier, we're going to play it later We taped uh, a segment with Tony Gwynn Jr uh, Broadcaster for the Padres And obviously he's in Los Angeles They're taking on the Dodgers And I was reading off all this stuff About Freddie Freeman who turned 34 Yesterday, like all these great things he's doing You think of all the great things Matt Olson's doing they got no chance at the MVP, and they're having unbelievable years. You I mean, imagine Freddie Freeman's doing all this. He's got no shot. Matt Olsen's doing all this. Got no shot. This is Acuna. This is Betts. Where are you going?
1: Yeah, Freeman is going to have 60 doubles, and Olsen's going to have 60 homers. And, and they got no court. shot. <laughs> so... um the NL MVP uh, discussion this year is a fascinating one. And I know you want me to come on and, and have some sort of provocative opinion and a strong take because I am, after all, an ESPN employee. But honestly, I can't do that. In I mean, nonsense. it's in the so book. Got, you're, you're a hot take artist. Name. Yeah, we just, we're just we selling off the shelves here, man, hot cakes. Um, the, the right answer here is that there are two right answers to this question. And that's not an interesting thing to say. It's not a provocative opinion. But these are two players having uniquely outstanding seasons. And it really comes down to what your priority is as a voter. So I'm not a voter. I want to make that clear. But if I were to put myself in the shoes of a voter, to me, this is a close enough thing that I'd be looking to break ties. Acuna's going to have the 40 homer, 70 steal thing, which is super cool and flashy. Betts obviously has statistical advantages in a variety of ways, and is probably going to have the advantage in all the versions of wins above replacement. For me, the reason why I would lean towards Mookie Betts is the fact that he provides his manager remarkable and unprecedented position versatility. Mookie Betts on a whim this year has played nearly 60 games at second base and he's done so positively he's got a pu- he's got plus uh in terms of his defensive run safe his outs above average mookie betts is adding value at, at, at the, what, the third or fourth most important position on the diamond and he's doing that in order to enable jason hayward to play right field who hits a lot better than whomever the dodgers might be playing at second base let's think about that for a second He's also, by the way, played 16 games at short. He's got an OPS of 1,000 at all three positions. So let's think about this for a second, right? This guy, this guy is having a, a ludicrous season as a hitter. Not quite the Acuna season because he doesn't have the steals, but he's having a ludicrous season as a hitter. And he is doing something that a lot of people that train their entire lives to do can't do as well as him, play second base at, a, at, a, at an above-league average level. That is an insane proposition, my friend. Mookie Betts is one of the best athletes to ever play this game. What he is doing is impossibly hard. What he is doing is one step below what Shohei Ohtani did for three years. To be able to just play second base and do it that well, while also mashing at the top of the order to give your manager the opportunity to fill out the best lineup card he possibly can, to me, is a tiebreaker. Which is why if I had to vote today, I would go Mookie, but I also have the right to change my mind over the next three weeks.
0: Uh, I'm with you. I'd vote Mookie, too. By the way, the only guy to miss more time at work than you is Mike Trout. Uh, (laughs) We can sit here all we want, and no one's seen Mike Trout more than us, and he's, other than Barry Bonds, was the best player I've ever seen. Other than Barry Bonds, he was – but I can't get the guy on the field. The guy hadn't played in 150 games since 2016. Uh, Since 2016, he's only played 141 time. You've got a ton of money left on the deal. Uh, Who would want that?
1: I mean, he can't stay healthy. He's owed $35 million annually through 2030. It's a ton of money. It's a huge commitment. And because of his health concerns, it is an enormous risk. So the Angels are either going to – I can't believe I'm saying this about literally Mickey Mantle. But the Angels are either going to have to give him away, right, and and accept almost nothing in return or effectively buy prospects right because that's there's not a third option where you get everything that you want from another team and they're willing to pay you everything unfortunately that ship has sailed on mike trout like it's really sad like what has happened here but mike trout has gone from being like the player who i believed was going to be the best player we had seen since barry bonds and if you throw him out literally henry aaron he was on that kind of trajectory and presumably clean to a player now who you literally forget about because he's obscured by the fact that he never played and he, that he never plays and the fact that his team stinks all ice. It's terribly a shame. Now, I think it's still worth having the thought exercise who might be able to, who might want Mike Trout. So I'm going to give you three teams and I want you to tell me if any of these three teams match up with your list. Oh, cool. Naturally, my <laughs> okay, sorry um, um, my hometown no. Phillies are, have, to, have to be on this list let me explain myself okay. I got three teams for you the first is the Phillies and it's merely because we know they're a big market they're willing to spend and we know Mike Trout is a Philly guy loves Philly through and through it would be a homecoming of sorts seeing him play left field while Bryce Harper's playing right field would really be something Ooh. to behold and they have Ooh. enough prospect Ooh. capital Ooh. if they're willing just to blow through the luxury tax yeah. so that's number one number two is the Giants the reason I think the Giants are an interesting team is because they have swung and missed on so many free agents they pretended to try to get in years past. So they actually have the money, right? They actually have the money to spend if they want to, and they can really sell Mike Trout as, you can be the face of our franchise. This is something that we've missed since having Buster Posey, and we can sell you on that. Who knows if, he's, if he can stay healthy wherever he goes, but at least the Giants can pay him and, and theoretically need him. And the third is the Baltimore Orioles. And this is going to be a, a, a peculiar one because they don't spend. Whoa. Any money. they don't spend any money. But if, if, if we're living in a world in which the Angels are willing to buy, buy prospects, the Orioles have gobs and gobs and gobs of prospects. The Orioles have the number one farm system in baseball. The Orioles also have so little uh, future money tied up that they could probably afford to pay Mike Trout 20 or $25 million a year. If, if we're living in a world in which they decide they want to avert from what they've done from, for so many years, which is cry poor and play small market in the American League East, Right. Again, this is Mike Trout coming uh, to the East Coast to an up-and-coming team, and can provide like the sort of veteran presence that they just don't have, which might wind up being their undoing in the playoffs. So, to me, it's the Phillies, the Giants, and the Orioles as just three like top-of-head teams. As I did the thought exercise to prepare for today, that makes some sense. What say you? I hear you on Philly.
0: I Giants, Baltimore. That's out of left field. I think it's a dumb play, and I think the one team that would make the dumb play is the Yankees. The Yankees Yay. are the, the Yankees are always going to look for stardom. They're gonna. We can keep them healthy. We'll do like an NBA load management. I think the Yankees would be the team. That I I think Philly and New York. I think it's got to be an East Coast team because I know people brought up Dodgers. There is no way the Angels are going to have him in L.A. right next door. And if he does turn back into Mike Trout, you got to live with that every day in your market. No way. They want his ass out of here. By the way, quickly because I know you got to go. We both grew up huge Ph- uh, Phillies fans. You and I. What we? I mean, I grew up. I mean, it was Larry Bo on my wall. It was Vaughn Hayes on my wall. You know how much
1: I love the Phillies. How you think our Phillies can go on another run here? I think the Phillies are going to be live in the playoffs again. Um, the National League is, is more open for discussion than I thought it might be. Do the Braves have the best team? Yes. The Braves clearly and obviously have the best team. That lineup is ridiculous. I mean, the Braves have one of the best lineups I have ever seen. Um, Like the Braves have, like the bottom third of the Braves order can play in the middle of almost any order in baseball. It's like the depth and length of that lineup combined with the star power makes it one of the best ever. They might be the first team ever to slug 500 as a team. Nuts. Absolutely crazy what the Braves are doing. But I wonder about the pitching. Like I really wonder about that pitching. Uh, it It was their undoing in the playoffs last year. They obviously got representative pitching the year before when they won the championship. But I watched the Phillies ambush the Braves in that series in the NLDS last year. I was there for game three, the Reese Hoskins bat flip game, uh, bat uh, spike game, the Bryce Harper home run back to back. Like that was, I was there. Like I felt that. Um, And the Braves are a team that historically has underachieved in the playoffs. That's not necessarily predictive, but I'm not sure that they have the pitching um, that the Phillies do. Candidly, the Phillies have way more people that I trust. Um, Whether it be starters, whether it be swingmen, whether it be relievers on the back end, even though they're not pitching that great right now. Because Rob Thompson really manipulated that bullpen very effectively last year. Right now, Trey Turner is as hot as anybody in the sport. Bryce Harper last year carried the Phillies to the World Series. There's so many dudes in that lineup that can swing your win probability. That To me, if I'm going to rank this stuff, I think the Braves have the best chance, of course. I think the Phillies are second, though, ahead of the Dodgers, given all the pitching issues that they have. And candidly, the American League is like throwing a dart. So, like, to me, if you were to ask me right this second, who I think are the have the best chance of getting to the series in order, one Braves, two Phillies, and then I throw my hands up. I have no idea.
0: Only thing that matters in sports right now. We're going for the sweep of
1: the Astros today. By the way, I just hit the floor twice loudly with my foot, which means you got to change up. So just sit and drive that the other way.
0: All right? <laughs> I mean, you're a bestseller, you're on TV, you're young, you're good-looking, you got kids now. I mean, the world is your
1: oyster. I'll tell you what, man, you are right. I I do have kids now.
0: (laughs) 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 All (laughs) All right, buddy, be well, my friend. Continued success. We'll talk soon. And we'll keep promoting. We'll keep promoting. You got kids. I got to get you some You're the best,
1: man. You're the best, man.
0: Take care. The great Paul Himbikides better known as Himbo. Scott, welcome back to A's Cast Live. How are you? Yes, I am.
7: Can You You got me?
0: I got you. How are you? Have you been? Hey, good. All good, 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 good. How are you? Uh, we're, we're doing well. Uh, a rare thing is happening up here in Oakland. I don't know if you've heard this. Uh, the A's are trying to sweep the Astros in Houston today. I heard
7: it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sears was good last night, and... Uh, Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's nice to see Mark Kotze and his staff and the players deserve so much better than they've gotten. They're good people. They're good baseball guys. And, you know, when a team is rebuilding or whatever you want to call it, it's it's nice to see a team get better as the season goes on or get better late in the season. And, uh, you know, it's baseball. And Houston uh, (laughs) – Yeah, Houston better get his act together tonight.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. But sticking with that, because I know you've known Mark Kotze for a long time, you know, I think it's big for him and his staff to start seeing these players play better down the stretch here because it really, Scott, all the hard work, all the hours, all the video, all the early hitting, all the going over pitching – just what do you think that does for a manager and his staff when it actually starts to pay off on the field?
7: Well, it, it does. It does two things. Number one, what you just said, it pays off on the field, and 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 it, that's the bottom line. Is how are things playing out on the field, and and if they're getting, if things are getting better, then wherever your starting point was, that's what you want improvement. So that that's the first thing. But the second thing is, you know, mentally, it is such a tough game and it is such a long season that it's it's like anybody, if you put a ton of work into something and now if you put all that work in over a time period of like five, six months, and if you don't see it paying off, how discouraging is that? I mean, you begin to be depressed and question your own methods and question those you're working with. Are they doing what they should be doing? But when you're seeing this improvement like the A's are, yeah, it's huge for Cots and the staff because they've been patient, they've been teachers, they've been nurturers, um, all of the above. And now when you get to this point in the season where the finish line is in sight from where they started, if you can at least feel like we've taken several steps forward this year, and so when our season ends here soon and we pick it back up next year, it'll be nice to pick up from where we left off versus if there was regression and you're not even sure where you're going to start from next year.
0: You know, a lot of talk about this whole drama in the AL West. Uh, it is so close right now. You, 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 obviously, you have you have Houston, but look out for Seattle, Texas. We'll get into Texas and Max Scherzer in a second. But everybody's right on top of each other, jockeying for who's going to win the division, who's going to be the wild card. Obviously, Toronto in there, so somebody's going to be out of the party. But I said this yesterday and I'll say it again today and I'll say this going forward. Whoever you are in the American League, the last team that you want to match up against is the Houston Astros. Six straight years in the ALCS, four World Series appearance, two World Series titles. I gotta thank Scott if you're a team in the American League, uh, the American League playoffs and you gotta some point match up with Houston, you're very afraid.
7: Yeah, I mean, because, you know, it all starts with pitching, and that's that's one enormous reason why Houston's done what they've done over the last several years. I mean, especially this year now they've added Justin Verlander from, from the Mets, and, you know, he might not be what he was in 2014, 2013, back when he was winning Cy Young's, but he's still pretty a pretty difficult assignment. And you get, you know, again, the old proverbial short series. You get him, you get Framber Valdez can bring it. Christian Javier is phenomenal. He's the one who started the the combined no-hitter in the World Series last year against Philadelphia. Uh, The Astros just keep throwing arms at you, number one, and also in the bullpen, rotation and bullpen, one arm after another. Uh, That's the first thing. And secondly, because of, you know, everything you just laid out, all of their October experiences over the past several years, um, you know, they're not afraid – in the big moments guys like Jose Altuve live for the big moments and they, they step up and you know, if you draw the Astros in October, they're not going to beat themselves. You're going to have to step up and beat them.
0: Well, and I, and I look at where we are right now. Texas is just a game back of the Astros in the West. You look at the wild card. They're the second wild card team. They've won four in a row. We knew them going up to Toronto for four was going to be a tough test. They win the first two. But when you get the news today in that clubhouse, what do you think it's like for Bruce Bochy, who you know so well, and for the Rangers when they find out Max Scherzer is being shut down for at least the rest of the regular season?
7: Well, it's obviously devastating news, and it's a blow. But that said... It's unbelievable how many injuries and how many things the Rangers have endured all year. I mean, that, that bullpen, especially early in the year, it was horrible. And the second half of the season, since the All-Star break, you know, Bochy and Mike Maddox, the pitching coach, have been having to, you know, plug a hole here, then plug a hole over there. It, what the, what the, the fact that the Rangers are where they are is just remarkable, given – the lack of pitching they've already had. And then they tried to precedent the trade deadline and now they lose Scherzer. So I think it's a combination in the Rangers clubhouse. I, I think no question. It's a devastating blow to lose Max Scherzer, but the flip side is I'm sure there's a part of the, of Bochy and Maddox and that whole staff and in the clubhouse where it's like, all right, you know, we've answered about 20 other challenges this year. Here's one more. You know, we're not going to back down from it. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we, we we put ourselves in this position, and now we're going to gather whoever we have that's healthy and productive, and we're going to do what we can to finish it off.
0: Coming to town on Friday is our old buddy Bob Melvin and the San Diego Padres, a team that you've been around for years now. Uh, when we were at the winter meetings in San Diego, they were talking about the World Series. When they had their Fan Fest, they were talking about who they, the Padres were going to play in the World Series. They laughed about the parade route. It could be half sea, half land. Boy, that seems like a lifetime ago. Just when you look at this season, the names, the money, over $800 million is guaranteed through all these years. Darvish has been shut down for the rest of the year just what the hell happened in San Diego, and why are they so bad?
7: Yeah, well, there are a few things that work, and you're absolutely right. And you know, on, on you know, you, to start with, it's a very uneven roster. It's so top heavy. You know, guys like Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, and Xander Bogarts—they're all stars. Their their Q rating is off the chart. You know. They're 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 really good players, but once you got below about the fifth spot in the batting order, you know. And I should mention a guy who wasn't a superstar, but who's probably been the Padres' most valuable player all year is the infielder Ha Sung Kim. That guy has been a spark plug. But beyond the names I mentioned, six, seven, eight, nine spots in the batting order. I mean, it, it, it's just there's no punch. It just disappears. And these guys, Jake Cronenworth had a horrible year. Disappointing, hugely disappointing before breaking his wrist. Uh, Trent Grisham. I I get tired of hearing how good he is defensively, which he is because he's hitting 203. I mean, the guy is painful to watch at the plate. They need to move on from Trent Grisham. Um, You know, Juan Soto for my money is, is vastly overrated. Um, I know it was a huge acquisition when the Padres got him. And full, full disclosure, I also thought it was a great acquisition. But once Juan Soto left Washington, um, he's a def- He's a borderline liability defensively in the outfield. He's not very good. At the plate, I know his on-base percentage is his game, but when you've got his pop, I've never seen a potential slugger so desperate to get a walk. I mean, he goes up looking for walks and I know his numbers have gotten better over the last six weeks or so, but Juan Soto plays for Juan Soto. He doesn't play for the team. Um, he's, I think he's vastly overrated and that's part of the reason why, you know, the Padres all season long have been among the worst teams in baseball with runners in scoring position. Uh, They've been the opposite of clutch. They haven't. They, they're they're 0 11, I believe it is, in extra inning games.
0: Correct. Yeah. And they've got a
7: horrible, horrible record in one run games. So, um, you know, they they've misfired across the board in many many areas this year.
0: Yeah, we were we were going over that before the show because Juan Soto once again. Oh, look at all the walks and the on base percentage, and, and I just say to myself. I watched a guy walk a lot in his career and all he did was score. His name was Ricky Henderson. If you walked yep. him, you were basically he was gonna somehow figure out the way to score. It's amazing how much Juan Soto walks and gets on base and doesn't score.
7: Exactly right. I mean I get I mean, look, I understand the importance of on base percentage, but not every player is the same puzzle piece. I just mentioned a bit ago, Trent Grisham can't hit a lick. He's got a little bit of power, but he's hitting 200, 203. Now, on-base percentage for my money is way more important for Trent Grisham, who's not going to hit anyway, than it is for a guy like Juan Soto, who has, the, who has the capability of being a run producer and a run scorer. A guy like that you want different things out of than for somebody else. And that's where I I get so worn out here and all about like, oh my gosh, Juan Soto, look at his walks. It's like, yeah, but he's not, as you point out, he's not scoring runs and every walk is less opportunity for him to drive in runs.
0: You know, in this game, before the game tonight, they're going to be giving out Dave Roberts bobbleheads. I know, you know, Dave real well. Uh, you just start. Yeah, you start. Yeah. You start looking at it. Seven hundred and forty-one career wins, fourth most in Dodger history. You got Hall of Famers Walter Alston. You got Tommy Lasorda. We had to look up Wilbert Robert uh, Robinson, who who managed the Brooklyn Robins back in the day. I mean, you look at how many games Dave Roberts has won as Dodger skipper. Just talk about really how impressive his career has been there.
7: Yeah, I'm glad you brought him up because it's it's about time this guy starts getting some credit because I know his first few years, you know, a lot of people had the tendency to say, yeah, but look how loaded the Dodgers are. You know, they, they back then they had Clayton Kershaw, and for a while they had Max Scherzer, and, I mean, they had Zach Granke, I believe, when Roberts first started with the Dodgers. They had all kinds, you know, Cody Bellinger. People were like, well, they should win. Well, yeah, they should, but... Still, uh, a manager, a bad manager, can lose a lot of games, and Dave Roberts did not. Uh, there also was a narrative that Andrew Friedman and his baseball operations staff is wonderful, which they are, and that, you know, their plug and play from the baseball ops is what's enabling the Dodgers to win, and yes, it helped. But the constant through it all has been Dave Roberts, and now this year, You know, the Dodgers traded away Justin Turner. They let Cody Bellinger go. Uh, This has been a year of transition for the Dodgers. They did not have Walker Bueller all year. Um, Clayton Kershaw is older and and just a shadow of himself. Their pitching has been mixed and matched. They have not had where they are, second best record in the National League to Atlanta. That does not add up that they have that record with this mediocre pitching they've got so eventually i think you have to look at the captain of the ship dave roberts for keeping guys together keeping the clubhouse together they always play hard for him you when was the last time you ever heard of a dodger not running a ball out to first base Uh, the culture he's created what he's done uh, as i say it's about time i think after all of this that people begin to recognize what a wonderful job Dave Roberts has done and is doing as Dodgers manager.
0: You know, right north of you, just the train wreck that is the Angels continues. Yeah. Uh, We have no idea what's going to happen with Shohei Otani. Now the discussions of Trout. You're Perry Manassian. You're running this show. I don't know what Artie Moreno wants. I don't know if he wants to sell, if he wants to be here. But Mike Trout's an all-time great. He's your guy. Right now, he can't stay on the field. What are you going to do with Mike Trout?
7: Yeah, I mean, that's he's going to be at, what, 82 games this year. A couple of years ago, he only played 36. Uh, you know, it's it's sad because he's still a really good player. But, you know, I mean, he's not in his prime anymore. And The reason I say it's sad is, you know, the Angels have not – other than his rookie year in 2014, they have not been able to get Mike Trout to the playoffs. Seen the best days of Mike Trout. Um, it is a train wreck of a franchise. Uh, you know, Trout has indicated that he wants to talk to the management this winter and get an idea of where the Angels are going. Uh, that's the first even glimmer of indication, by the way, of Trout being somewhat unhappy or questioning things in Anaheim. So, you know, what you do with him, You, know, I don't know. I mean, if, if you lo- if you can't retain Otani, if he signs with the Dodgers or, or Seattle, and I think it's – I still, like a lot of people in the industry, I think he'll end up with the Dodgers. Um, you know, I mean, you might have to look at real seriously if maybe we should trade Trout and just cut bait with both Otani and Trout and kind of start over, but – They've still got so many other issues. I mean, Anthony Rendon was a horrible contract signing, uh, but that's Artie Marino. I mean, he's the guy that led the team to sign Albert Pujols and Josh Hamilton, too. Um, He has not let his baseball people run the show without interference, and that's why they're in the position they're in.
0: You always have your finger on the pulse of the game, and I, I do a lot of work with Dave Stewart, who's trying to get an expansion team in Nashville, the Nashville Stars. But I'm looking around, and I look at what's happening with us, Oakland, Las Vegas. I think about what's going on with Tampa. I think the issues in Anaheim, Kansas City, Chicago White Sox, Milwaukee Brewers, uh, Baltimore Orioles and their issues. I mean, you're looking at a third of the league – the third of ownership is looking at where they're play playing and they're seeing problems things need to be done. I know they're gonna try and also redo the Rogers Center up in Toronto I mean, you got a lot of stuff going on. It, it, does baseball really have to slow down on expansion knowing that they they got so many teams that have issues with their ballparks in their cities?
7: I'm gonna give you two answers to this Chris. All right. The first first is, the logical answer is yes. Uh, Also, not only are there some teams with issues right now, but as you might have noticed, pitching remains in crisis. Nobody has enough pitching. Everybody's using openers, even the Dodgers in San Francisco. You know, there's not been – the player development in the game today, I think, is really lacking overall. Starting pitching is going the way of the dinosaur. I mean, I talked to Justin Verlander uh, back in July when the Tigers, I think it was Mike Manning, threw a no hitter. And I talked to Verlander because he, I I was with the Mets at that point, and obviously he's still a huge name in Detroit. I asked, he's always going to be linked to the Tigers, and I asked Verlander, um, you know, what about, how about, you know, Manning throws the first no hitter in Detroit since you did. And he said, Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's cool to always be linked with the Tigers. And he said his favorite thing was that it was a complete game no hitter. He said, Because, you know, some of the no hitters today that are tag team, he said, I just worry that we're going to get to a point where even on a no hitter, fans are going to be like, Well, I never even heard of any of those guys, and that's not good for the game. (laughs) So, So, anyway, to your point, um, Yes, logically, baseball should slow down on expansion. My, I told you I was going to give you two answers. The second part of this I'll make quick. Um, I don't think baseball is going to slow down on expansion. I would predict they're going to expand by two teams fairly soon. Reason, as everything these days, money. I go back to COVID, 2020. How, much, how many millions did baseball lose? How many millions did each team and, and by extension, each team's owner lose uh, by the shutdown and you know 60 game season in 2020, and then 2021 was shortened as well. Quickest way historically to regain lost millions is through expansion and whatever you, because each team has to buy into the league, to pay exta- huge expansion fees, and then that money gets divvied up. Um, I go back to the strike of 1994-95. That was horrible for the game. The players, the owners, everybody lost a gob of money. So what happened not too long after 1995, pretty quick, guess what? Expansion in 1998, Tampa Bay Rays, and um, uh, who'd they come into the league? Uh, uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. Arizona and Tampa Bay came in as expansion in '98, and that helped make the owners recoup their lost money from the strike, I would suspect some similar scenario to help the owners recoup lost money after COVID.
0: Scott, it's always an honor to have you on the program. You've been helping me out for so many years. We truly appreciate it. Be well, and let's do this again soon, especially in the postseason.
7: All right. My pleasure, Chris. Take care, buddy.
0: Scott Miller, one of the top columnists in baseball, now New York Times. Sirius XM I have it as XM but Sirius XM Baseball Channel 89 it's on both Uh, a lot of stuff that he does around the Padres too being down there in San Diego well, now joining us on Ace Cast Live, he's one of our favorites down in San Diego, currently in Los Angeles, as the Padres are taking on the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine, of course, San Diego, and our buddy Bob Melvin coming back to town to take on Oakland. Tony Gwent Jr. Tony, how are you?
6: I'm well, Chris. How about yourself?
0: Uh, we're doing well, and uh, uh, we're not surprised where we are. But I think, obviously, everybody is surprised. One of the biggest surprise in a long time was such high expectations, as we were talking about with you at the winter meetings in San Diego. And it's just, you know, it really is shocking looking at the Padres at 68 and 78. You've lived it. What's it been like?
6: Frustrating. Uh, it's been um, confusing at times. Uh, You just you you look at this roster and I I think everybody knows it's a really talented roster. Um, And, you know, when you look at how the year played out, I mean, you got you got the number one pitching in terms of ERA. Your bullpen has been pretty good all season long for the most part. Um, But the offense has been the thing that has, you know, at when it when it has performed right, it can put up 10, 11 runs without a beat, but most of the season it hasn't performed at that level. It's the it's worst team with, with uh, when one-run games, one of the worst teams with runners in scoring position. Those are the things that ultimately have a big impact on what your record looks like over the course of the season, and the Padres just haven't done well in those categories.
0: You know, it's so hard to explain it, the it factor. Certain teams have it. Certain teams don't. You were on some teams yeah. that had it. You were on some teams that didn't. And everybody can look at the stats and they can look at the analytics and try and figure it out. But sometimes even teams that are not as talented, they have that it factor. They win the one-run games. They win in extra innings. They can play small ball. They can hit home runs. Just just talk about the difference because clearly this team doesn't have it.
6: And the, 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 the thing is... They had it last year with largely the same pieces, right? I mean, they did all of those things. They were terrific in one-run games. And although, you know, they may have at times been, you know, lackluster offensively, they found ways to get timely hits last year. And it's hard to believe that in a year everybody forgot how to do that. But uh, there does seem to be – some disconnect within the lineup as you watch it. You know, know, part of what makes those teams that you just mentioned that don't have as much talent successful is that there's a role and everybody masters their role throughout that lineup um, to perfection or close to it, whereas, you know, a team like the Pods, who have a ton of talent, It's a little bit more difficult to decipher what those roles are amongst extremely talented people. And when you watch the Padres play over the course of the season, sometimes that disconnect from one through nine, you can see it.
0: So during spring training, our buddy Bob Melvin, they came over, the Padres did to Ho-Ho Cam, and I've known Bob for a long, long time. I did the Bob Melvin show for eight years. The mattresses Bob Melvin's family sleeps on, I provided for his family. (laughs) That's how well I know Bob Melvin, and he's going to join us on Friday at the Coliseum. And he told me kind of after our interview that we did, he goes, we might be in trouble. There's something in this clubhouse that's not right. Guys are playing in positions they don't want to play. There's some grumblings, and, and we didn't see that like at the fan fest for the Padres, which was like incredible it was the amount of people that showed up. They're talking about World Series. They don't care who they play in the World Series. Talking about parade routes and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, we don't have to totally get into the relationships, but would you just say that what's happened in the clubhouse it just hasn't fit?
6: Listen, I I, I I I would be remiss if I if I or I should say I would be in the wrong if I spoke about what goes on in the clubhouse because I'm not there. But what I can tell you is the kind of communication I've seen doesn't point to uh, a bunch of guys that don't get along. Um, I don't see that. You know, there are plenty of times and and I watch carefully. i I watch when you know the cameras aren't on and and when nobody's watching, and you just don't get the sense that this is a group that doesn't get along with one another. However, getting along with one another and then finding a way to make it work when you're in between the lines are are two entirely different things. And so, Um, when I speak about the disconnect and and trying to figure out what the roles are uh, amongst in that lineup, because in the perfect world, you just roll the ball out there. You say, everybody go do you, that you guys are talented enough. Just go do you. That doesn't always work. It has to be within the scheme of what the scoreboard is saying, what the game is asking you. And so at times, you know, different guys are going to have to do different things. And so I just think, They were very inconsistent when it came to doing that part. In terms of, you know, what it looks like, and in terms of chemistry and things like that of that nature, I can't say that it, it. If there is a chemistry issue, I can't say that it's because these guys seemingly can't stand one another.
0: Now, obviously, with all the work you do around the Padres, growing up in San Diego, and all of that, people forget Tony Gwynn Jr. Was a Los Angeles Dodger for a couple of years. And, <laughs> and when we were, we 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 had Paul Hambakitis, the main researcher, on who's on the morning show on ESPN. And when we were doing all our getting ready for the season stuff, and we had Tori Lovello on from the from Arizona, and of course we got the Giants people up here. Everybody was taking down the Los Angeles Dodgers this year. This was the year to slay the dragon. And he was like, not gonna happen. There's still Better than everybody else. I'm just looking at the notes today, even this year. I know the the total last couple of years is like they've beaten the Padres 32 out of 40, but this year it's 9 of 12. They've done, I mean, the Dodgers, this can be their 11th straight year in the playoffs. They still own the Giants. They still own the Padres. They still own the D backs. Yeah. Everybody wants to say to these guys, they're going to get them this year. Just you've seen them this year. The Dodgers are still damn good.
6: The, the Dodgers,
0: <laughs> to, to say the least, I mean, this
6: team is, um, you know, to me, they, they've been this way for, what, 10, 12 years at this point uh, in terms of the run they've had, and I think what happened was in the previous, you know, three years, they were basically a super team, you know, so, you know, when you lose a couple pieces off the super team, you're still a pretty good team. I mean, they lose Trey Turner, they lose Kenley Jansen, they lose, you know. They lose Walker Bueller to to, to injury, uh, and yet and still they find ways to beat you. They know how to win, and you know I, I I go back to the to the whole construction of lineups and each player having a job to do in that lineup. They do it as well as anybody. You got your you got your big guys, obviously Mookie and, and Freddie at the top of the lineup. You got a guy like Will Smith, but that lineup is still long even after you get by those guys, guys can hurt you really up and down that lineup. And, you know, I think this has been one of Dave's best managerial jobs this year. I mean, they don't have the pitching and the depth that they've had in the past with the injuries they've had. And yet they lead the National League West by a a nice margin. And so, um, yeah, you know, the people who thought that, you know, the Dodgers were, were, were going to start falling off. I, I think they, they were sadly remiss because um, ultimately this team is still there. They're still good. They're still well coached. And they played the game the way, you know, I think most organizations would like to play it.
0: We're all starving for pitching, and every single time I look at the notes, here comes a guy up again, and then here's another guy. I mean, it's like they got this tree. I don't know where this tree is in their farm system that's just – they're plucking all these pitchers off. It's pretty amazing. You mentioned Freddie Freeman. He turned 34 years old yesterday. Can you imagine in your career, Tony, you think about this. Let's say you're leading the big leagues in extra base hits, you're third in average, you're second and on-base percentage, you're six and slug, you're third in war – and you have no chance to win the MVP.
6: Yeah, this uh, this is one of those years.
0: This is one of those
6: years that, you know, for a guy like Freddie, who by in a in a normal year would probably be the favorite to win an MVP, is coming up against not only Ronald Acuna, who has created a, his own class for you know what he's done this year, but he's also got his own teammate on the same team putting up monster numbers once again. And so, I mean, listen, what Ronald Cunha has done this year is, you know, it, it just it, and it's not done. He he's got a chance to get the 40-70, 40-80, which is which is which is which is absurd that we're even talking about it. Meanwhile, Freddie Freeman, uh, he got a chance to get 60 doubles when this is all said and done. Uh, I mean, he is closing in on that as well. And So, uh it, it's it's been a, it's been a good year to watch some top-tier talent, you know, do some of the things that, you know, we didn't think was possible.
0: Yeah, poor Matt Olson's in the same boat. He's going to lead the (laughs) National League (laughs) in home runs, and he's going to finish fourth in the MVP ballot. (laughs) Let's end on this. Put your sports talk hat on. Uh, Obviously, the college football world's gotten crazy, and my San Jose State Spartans were in the same conference as you in the Mountain West, and and your San Diego State Aztecs. It's just absolutely crazy. We've watched what's happened with – Cal and Stanford are now in the ACC. Try and figure that out. We opened up this year down at SC. You guys just played UCLA. They're going to the Big Ten. Just how is San Diego reacting to this? Because obviously San Diego State is one of the big players in the Mountain West and one of the big players on the West Coast. Just how is everybody feeling? There's a total unknown of what this is even going to look like in the next couple of years.
6: There, There was a moment in time where the Aztecs had just won or just gotten to an NCAA final in basketball. And you knew these decisions were coming up with the Pac-12. And would they get their, their their deal in order in time before the time ran out for a team like San Diego State that could possibly look to leave? And we saw kind of the mess that unfolded with that in, in the Mountain West. But it's been a roller coaster, right? Because at one point it looked like San Diego State was in the driver's seat to really – have a choice of where they wanted to go yes and then all of a sudden all of a sudden that window closed and it closed so fast <laughs> that I don't think anybody has had a chance to really kind of figure out what's next I mean it, it sounds like Oregon State Washington State could either join the mountain West or they could pull people over into what they're trying to create with the pack with the remaining pieces of the pac 12 um I I think it's it's a really big unknown right now. Uh, for especially for San Diego State, where they just have re up with the Mountain West for the next three years. They, they'll have to kind of see how the landscape goes. In a perfect world, football should just break off and do their own thing because I think ultimately, you know, the other sports that are traveling from California all the way to, to North Carolina, um, I don't think that's going to help the other sports. I think it could end up really hurting the other sports when it's all said and done. So, I hope you know, the smarter minds get their, get their heads together here and, and figure out a better way to do this because this just seems like it's going to be very chaotic for the next few years.
0: Yeah, well said. For us guys that played college baseball, we know this doesn't work. And you think about softball yeah. and volleyball and all the different sports. Uh, quickly, are you excited next year? Are you more excited for UCLA against Rutgers or Stanford versus Wake Forest? <laughs> <laughs> these are in conference Whoa. games <laughs> oh
6: my lord I, I can't even imagine i can't even imagine getting up early to watch a stanford
0: game. <laughs> right it's like hey watch out cal's gonna play boston college <laughs> yeah, we're, we're getting ready for like i said we're getting ready for some
6: crazy times for sure
0: hey we always appreciate it. we love having you on we'll see you on friday at the coliseum be well all right chris thank you brother great to have Trevor May on the program it has been a while how are you good are you well I was talking about on your way up here we knew you're coming up and of course we'll talk about you but I know you like to talk about your teammates just talk about what we have seen as Scott Emerson and the pitching staff as a whole the numbers the hard work and how the staff has gotten better I know as a veteran guy you're proud of a lot of these young guys
8: yeah absolutely um you know, it's been a lot of fun to watch uh, guys come to their own a little bit. Um, you know, and, and even the the veteran guys like uh, Paul Blackburn kind of doing what he always does and kind of upping his game, too, as he's going. So, you know, but like the Ken Walderchucks, J.P. series taking, you know, J.P.'s kind of, I think, uh, a guy who maybe took even a bigger step forward than maybe a lot of people would have anticipated, too. So, um, opening some eyes, Mason Miller's electric. uh you know he doesn't got to do much to be successful. I don't think <laughs> uh, he's pretty dang good. And uh, yeah, I, I just I'm re- really enjoying all the conversations, having the guys and, and you know picking their brains and letting them pick my brains and, and just seeing how how far everyone's kind of come over the last five months. It's 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 pretty pretty awesome because that's what you got to do when when things are going the way that they've you know gone this year. You got to make sure that um, that you're you're as good as as much better as as more better as you can be from the beginning to the end um, because that is that is what what the season's for
0: we've liked jp ever since he came over from the yankees you know just didn't know like where would he exactly fit in because you know we saw him pitch against the a's when he was with the yankees just talk about as a young player a young starter what that means to take the ball the entire year and get to that mark 30 starts
8: it's a it's a big deal i hadn't i never did it um but uh you know especially in your sophomore season kind of going and staying healthy all year making sure that you're getting every opportunity to establish yourself that you can is is honestly probably the biggest goal that a guy should have I think at that point in their career just taking the ball every time they they need them to take it and uh, he's done that I think and then he's gone on above and beyond and uh building consistency when you with the amount of experience he's had is it's impressive to do it this quickly and uh everyone sees it and the the powers that be when they see a guy who go take the ball and you know you're going to get you know where he's going to be mentally and you know he's not going to implode you know he's going to give you he's going to battle every single time out you're going to get opportunities and a longer leash and uh, he's definitely done that for himself for sure
0: now there's been a lot of talk about your season what's happened in the season and i think it's so big for because there's a lot of people struggling out there and when they can draw strength from you I think it's incredible when they can draw strength from somebody that they watch and they know that if you can do it, they can do it. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what, you, know, we've been waiting to have you on again. What do you think you've learned the most about yourself this season?
8: Um, I think uh, I have a better idea of when I'm feeling something, what's what it means, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, it's it's been – I've realized that, like, the ups and downs of a baseball season you hear that all the time and and the context for that is just different for everybody and for me i was just living and dying with performance i was living and i felt like the world was ending when things were going well and i felt like i'd staved off the world ending when things were going good so that's not good yeah there was a while there where it was like great job now just gotta do it again tomorrow and it was just that every time i was never enjoying it um and that needed to be addressed It's just you got to have – you got to enjoy what you're doing, um, especially when it's something you've done for 30 years. uh, It it doesn't feel good to um, have that associated with, like, going to the field. Uh, And something just clicked one day where I told myself, you know, just all you can do is – the only thing that's supposed to happen is what happened. And uh, wherever you are right now is where you're supposed to be right now. And uh, you just – I look in the mirror before I go out and pitch, and I do this every single day. At some point, when I go to the bathroom, because <laughs> as as the uh, as the game gets going, we tend to be like, oh, "I gotta go to the bathroom all the time" because we're nervous. Uh, and I just look in the mirror and say, "Just do your best today, man." Like, well, you it. look like you've brought joy back into your yeah. life, and I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm taking. I used to be get these anxious feelings, or get these, fe- or you get these feelings where you're like thinking of failure, and you want to like get rid of them. And I. I flipped it and just like, I like that. I, I like this feeling because that means I care or that, that it means something to me. And, and then it's also an opportunity to overcome it. And once that started happening, cause that's kind of what athletes think, right? We always want to rise to the occasion. If you are constantly having your own little battles where you're rising to the occasion over and over again, it turns from failure to success really quickly. And suddenly nothing's too hard. Nothing's too scary because now scary things are what you're looking for. And, uh, yeah, that was just a really interesting uh, flip that switched, uh, and I think that it applies to everything. Uh, well, that's what I
0: want to add. I, do, I don't have a ton of time with yeah. you, but, but uh, you know, human beings have a hard time expressing themselves, whether yeah. you're a major league baseball player or whatever you do for a living. And so we have a hard time reaching out and telling people we're hurting. How many people have now come to you that maybe you didn't expect, that they now feel like, I can use you as a resource what has that been like where people know you've been through it? You're going through it. You're always going to go through yeah. it. So what has that been like? I'm sure there's a lot of people that have come to you and said thank you or I need help or just tell us how that has gone for you.
8: Uh, there's been a few. There's been a that handful of guys, um, you know, peers and guys, you know, around the game. And then there's been people in my personal life that have just basically said, hey, I just want you to know that, like, it means a lot that you just said something and said it so publicly because, that's the kind of the scariest part, is just people knowing. Like, it, a lot of people don't address it because they don't want anyone to know. And uh, so they just don't address it. And that, I think, was maybe the biggest catalyst. Um, uh, one big one was Daniel Bard. I saw him in, uh, in Colorado, and he walked up to me. He was like, hey, man, I just want you to know that, like, he just said thank you for, per- like, thank you. Uh, you yeah. there, there's another, like, I, have a, I feel like I have an ally. I don't feel like I'm on an island anymore, too, which is a part, big part of the problem. Um, and he was just like, keep it up. And I made a joke about I'm like, because uh, he's had success, but he was he was walking guys at the beginning of the year, and so was like, so we both had really high walk totals. I'm like, hey, we're doing it, and we're still letting guys on base, and we're just getting <laughs> out of it. So he's like, I'm like, we're both doing it. It's great to see that too. And he's like, yeah, man, it's we're 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 similar in a lot of ways.
0: Isn't it amazing the joy that comes back into your life, and then how well you're playing? Because your second half, or really ever since you've come back, you've been brilliant.
8: Thank you, thank you, appreciate it.
0: That's got to be something really. I don't know. It's just you got to feel like coming to the yard, like. You feel good right now. Like, uh, give me nah. the ball, let me go in every se- people, every type of scenario.
8: Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the mindset stuff kind of feeds into that, too. It's like when things are going well, I'm, I'm giving myself more permission to actually enjoy it as also. And I'm not just worried about when, it, the, when the other shoe is going to fall. Um, and because it's like that's not a real thing unless you make it a thing. No. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's much easier to, like, run out to the mound look up and see your little walkout song or, or your your video, <laughs> right? And I'm every stadium I'm in, I'm looking around and watching, the, even on away, to, away uh, games, I'm, like, lo- really looking around and seeing how bad do these fans want me to fail or how bad do these fans want me to get the job done, and then I adjust according to that. And I just, like, want to be in it. I want to, like, really feel all that pressure, all that, whatever that is. Whatever that noise is, I want to feel it because, uh, you know, once you're done, I've heard this from every person that's ever retired, and they're like, there is – just you just remember there's moments day to day where you're like man yeah i wish i was they were cheering for me again well
0: we appreciate you stop by i know they they they, they want to end this but uh, stay hot oh you're hot right now I'll do, stay I'll... hot finish strong and keep educating these kids they all need right. all the help i will time now for the bob melvin show right here on a well i guess we don't do that anymore Mm-mm.
5: how are you good um I do remember that. leading, though. Yeah. Like eight years of that. We did that for a while. So, um, yeah, I don't blame you for for leading with that.
0: Well, I think about you coming back to the Coliseum. It's more than just a guy that worked here professionally. I mean, this is a place when you look around the Coliseum, you've been coming to since you were a kid. You had a lot of great times as a teenager, as a student. Um, You came back for the first time in your career in another uniform. What was it like rolling in here today?
5: So I got here early because I knew that it would probably be a little bit emotional for me. So first thing I did is I like to run the stairs here. So I got here and first people that I have to see are Clay and Reba. And Reba didn't forget me. She came on a full sprint. So that made me feel good. Um, But then looking around and running the stairs and like I've done so many times before, you know, a lot of, you know, the history comes and it gets you a little bit emotional here too. Like you said, I've been... I've been in this place since I was like 12 years old. And, you know, my godfather was trainer of the Warriors. So I was over there a lot. I was at Raider Games here. I was at Day on the Greens here. I mean, this property in particular is a place where I grew up. So to come back after a couple years, um, it, was, it got me a little bit today.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about spring training. And it was a, an amazing moment when I was sitting there waiting for you. In the visiting manager's office, a hoho cam, and the the office is blank. There's nothing in there but a white envelope that says Robert on it. And it was from Steve Vucinich, And this was Steve Vucinich. We're gonna have his retirement party and everything. But he had that he had that letter for you thanking you. I know there was some weird apology in there that he didn't need to, but it, just who Vucinich is. I just think about the relationships. Just not the players, because all the players have come through here, by the way. We've had everybody from Olsen, Chapman, Simeon, Had Bassett. They all bring you up. I don't even ask. They bring you up about what you've meant in their lives. Just talk about the relationships with this organization, from the players to a Steve Vucinich, what that's been like, thinking about that since you've left.
5: Well, if you hadn't have brought those people up, I would have at some point in time, too. So there was just a, a closeness here in this organization, you know, in my time here. Because of the continuity here, we brought people up from the minor leagues. They, they came here. We brought coaches up from our minor league system. Keith Lippman was a huge part of that. There was continuity and leadership. It was Billy at the top. It was David. It was Keith Lippman. It was Billy Owens. It was myself. It was a coaching staff that was here for so long. So you, you form some, some bonds with these people. And then when the kids come up through the system – it's the same thing here. Everybody has pride in being in an Oakland A because everybody basically is here from the system. So I think that's the thing I think about most when you talk about the players here and the front office and ownership and everybody from here, it just felt like a family. And, you know, that's probably what I missed most.
0: Yeah, all the all the ex-players, they, they all bring you up and they all talk about, I mean, it's not necessarily about the wins and the losses. It's about how you help them grow as men and grow in their careers. You've gotten to now face them as the manager of the Padres. What's it like when you get to see them knowing that relationship and how much you've meant to them as men?
5: Well, it's a two way street. So they've meant just as much to me and helped me grow and help me become a better manager too. And then when Marcus Simeon comes to home plate and I have to watch that on the other side, it's not a great yeah. feeling. Matt Chapman, tips his hat to me Chris Bassett plays walk-up songs that I that I suggested for him uh in the past so I mean it it just it it you know it gets you a little bit for a while but um you know they're all such big parts of my career and uh but more than anything like you talk about it was just it would always, always felt like a family here and everybody had everybody's back
0: well, I know you're not shocked that every once in a while I'll get onto a topic and I'll rant and rave about it for a while and and uh, let fans know how I feel. And my uh, latest is, you know, with Captain Sal recently going into the A's Hall of Fame, having his family here knowing what he meant once again it's about relationships it's about leadership you know when we when we celebrate the 72 team or the 73 team you've got these men who show up here or in their 70s who still refer to him as captain sal it just shows what a leader he was and as a three-time world series champion the numbers and then i think about you as the all-time winningest manager for the a's and how much sal meant to you in your life and getting you into a new career beyond your playing days. I love the idea of retiring number six for both of you. I know you're very humble and you're not going to talk about yourself, but at least can you talk about for Captain Sal, how this number should be retired for both of you, especially what he's done for this organization. Well,
5: I I wouldn't be in the position I'm in right now without, without Captain Sal. Uh, He gave me my first job, uh, you know, outside of being a player and basically spoon fed me, you know, allowed me to see the front office, allowed me to see player development. He showed me what an entire organization looks like and how it's structured, and it meant so much to me, and it was so helpful to me. And then for my first big league jog with with Phil Garner, um, I can't say enough about how much this guys meant for my career. For me, more than anything, being able to wear number six because of Sal Bando—that's the thing that I remember the most. Uh, was putting that uniform on every day with pride. Looking at that number six and seeing Bando in my mind on the back because I grew up watching that, that, that for me is the most important thing and what he's meant for this organization and, and you know, for the people of Oakland and, and still does. So, you know, you don't have to talk me into to being a Sal Bando fan that's been there for quite some time. I can see it. Padres come back next year,
0: get his family here, your family here. We retire number six. It
5: could be perfect. I don't know that we come here next year, do we? I think I think they come to our place. Don't we flip-flop to each other's ballparks every year? Or is it every other year? Next
2: year San
0: Diego. Yeah. Next year in San Diego. Okay, in two years
5: we'll do it <laughs> We'll see if I'm doing this in two years. But look, it's, it's Sal alone probably belongs up with those numbers up there.
0: You know, I think about winning. Winning is hard. It really, really is hard. And it hasn't been easy for you in San Diego this year. Obviously, the year before, you know, you caught lightning in a bottle and you took it all the way to the NLCS. We were all rooting for you. I think people just forget no matter what. It doesn't matter how you build the team, how much money you spend, how you drive it. Winning in professional sports, as you said, you've been around it all the way back when you were a kid with the Warriors. doesn't matter what sport. Winning is hard.
5: It is. And we, well, shoot, we proved it this year. So, you know, with the expectations this team had based on where we ended up last year with the players that we brought in, it was supposed to be. A lot different than it is right now, and I think this year, as is, as is, is much as any year, it, it it proves that you know payroll is not doesn't guarantee anything. Look at the Yankees, look at the Mets, look at us—we're the three highest payroll teams, and none of them is, have lived up to expectations. So it's not about that. It's playing as a team, it's playing as a unit, and and that's the most important thing. And for whatever reason, we haven't been able to do that nearly as well as we did last year, and that's why we're in the position we're in
0: when you think about finishing strong how tough is it when you've had the year you guys have had and still be preaching got to finish strong but got to finish strong
5: yeah well they, they preaching it too and you can see they're playing hard every day they're probably playing as well as they have all year right now so they're going to be a challenge for us um but the, you have to this is what you play i mean you're, you're we're major leaguers we have to play until the last out of the last game and it's important that we do so as a coaching staff here Uh, That's something that we continue to preach. Hopefully that comes to fruition and hopefully we finish out strong because it's been a frustrating year for everybody here. So how is it in San Diego from the standpoint of what we always did with you? Who's
0: the Chris Townsend in San Diego and how much, how much you doing down there? Do you, you, is it like what we did up here or is it
5: completely different? No. And you know, I just saw Ken Korak there too. I don't do a radio show every day. I do one uh, every, every like third week. Um, But it's, it's not like it is here where we do things, you know, pretty regimented with these type of things. And in the pregame shows, there's a lot going on in San Diego and, and it's, you know, so a little different as far as that goes, but every place is different. Well, I can't thank you enough for everything you
0: did for us. You know, we, we, I mean, to tell people I, I wasn't even working for A's. I was working for 95.7, the game, the, the team and the station were going to, go through a divorce, you had my back that whole time. And then we created this thing, AceCast, Cast, which turned into Ace Cast Live, which is now we're number one in all of Major League Baseball. And you were always so supportive of what we did. And you went above and beyond what, what most managers would do to help us. And, and I can't thank you enough for all the support you gave us. And one of the reasons we were able to grow the way we did was because of how you treated us. Well,
5: the, the feelings mutual, and how you treated me as well here. And I remember in in 12, when we lost to the Tigers that last game, I was listening to the show on the way home and I pulled over the side of the road. My daughter was with me in the car and I called in because I wanted to thank our fans that year for what they meant to this team. And and from that point on, it was just it was it was just part of what we did here. And and so, you know, as as much as you say that I've been such a big part of what you've done. Congratulations to you and Cody, what you've done with A's cast. And I'm just happy to be a part of it.
0: And just real quickly, I know how much A's fans meant to you. They still mean to you. Uh, something special is going to happen here. I don't know what it is, but uh, these fans, you always cared about the fans. You always said when we had a, a fireworks night or a giveaway night that you wanted to perform well, you wanted to win for the fans. There's just this, this fan base loves you. You love
5: them. Well, thank you. And it did. I used to get really nervous when we had really, really big crowds because you want to To put on a good show for them because you know everybody regardless of who's here on a particular night they're watching they're listening it's gone on for years and years and years and years you know listening to bill king and ken korak and you know all the great voices here yourself now um it's just been it's a big part of A's baseball so it meant a lot to me the great bob melvin right here on A's cast live
8: this has been a presentation of the oakland athletics